shut it down, shut it down. Adam Curry, John C. Devorak. It's Sunday, April 24th, 2022. This is your award-winning Gibbo Nation Media Assassination, episode 1445. This is No Agenda. Boots on the East Coast ground and broadcasting live from the home of IBM's Global HQ, Armark, New York. In the morning, everybody, I'm Adam Curry. And from northern Silicon Valley, where I'm groggy, I'm John C. Dvorak. <laughs> it's Craig Vaughn Buzzkill in the morning. Wait a minute. I mean, you're groggy. You got an extra two hours today. Yeah. That's is, why. Is, that, is that why you're groggy? Do you know why IBM's international headquarters are in Armonk? I don't. <laughs> okay, you're and going. You you're are going, in our monk. You're going to tell me though. You're going to tell me why. Yeah, in the 1950s, there was such a threat of nu- nuclear attack that they figured that New York City was the number one target, and they weren't going to put up with it, so they moved their international headquarters to Armonk. Oh, I remember the. Yes, I do which remember is that story. Considered a safe place in a in a nuclear attack. Armonk is uh, home to the Curry Homestead. Um. For the same reason, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, actually, my grandfather was in real estate after World War II, and he bought a lot of real estate up here. And, of course... Ah, he, he had a clue. He had a clue and did quite well with that. Not super. Because now... Uh, so, this the house was built in 1845. My grandparents moved in in 1929, and it's been in the family. 1995, Don and Meg, after my grandparents died, they um, they acquired it. And the property's gotten a little bit smaller, but it's still pretty big. The crazy thing is, right across the road, because this is Westchester, this is you know this is Connecticut, pretty much. Uh, there's a twenty-five million dollar horse farm. You know, it's, just like, it's crazy. Everything here is hedge fund guys and BMWs, Mercedes, Rolls Royce. The whole place is you know all the rich people. You know, Teslas? There be Teslas? Oh yeah, tons there. of Teslas, of course, tons of Teslas. Yeah. Um, so, first question: Why don't we always start at this time? This was kind of enjoyable for me. Well, you like it? Well, you know. So normally, I get up at five fifteen, and you know, and yeah, you work get up too early. No, because I I need to do everything in the morning, and it's perfectly timed. And so, by the time eleven rolls around, which is what time it is for me to start, everything's good, perfect. Um. But so today I got up at, uh, actually at, at five, you know, even though it was East Coast time, because we had a goodbye brunch at, uh, from 10 to noon. So I did three hours of prep. Then we got over there, came back, you know, did all my clips. But I'm just thinking, wow, I mean, everyone seems fine. Darren did four hours of rock and roll pre-show. We should just do this every, uh, every show. This is such a nice time. I could sleep a couple hours longer. Oh, what was that? I heard a sound. Sa- I heard a sound. Sa- oh, it was, oh, I heard a sound. What? It was Darren blowing his brains out. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. It's just that, was there a reason that we started this time? Uh, I can't, well, I can't I'll recall. I'll tell you what, let's see how we feel at the end of it. Okay. And then we see what the audience thinks, because maybe they'd like, you know, because this brings in different parts of the audience and gets rid of some others. I remember why we started at this time. I remember why this was. When we started the show, I was in the UK. And we wanted to have it so we both had kind of daylight. With the time difference. That's right. So. That's exactly right. That's why the star uh, started at nine. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm. 
I don't know. I, I don't think anyone else would anyone else mind. I don't mind. It was, it, I think it would be because if it was if it, if the show started at eleven in the UK, it'd be you know it'd be uh it'd be after after midnight almost. Be, yeah, exactly, good. exactly. Huh, interesting point. I kind of okay, like well, it. we'll find out. We'll figure it out. We can try it. Yeah, um, it doesn't bother me. I do want to ask the troll room to be on alert since this is uh, the twenty fourth. If you have any information while we're doing the show about the French elections, we'd love to know. Uh, because that just makes us sound that much smarter when people are listening to this tomorrow <laughs> on Monday. Uh, and it's, it's supposed to be a very close race between uh, uh, Macron and the far-right candidate, Mar- Marine Le Pen. Yeah, I don't... I, I, personally, I can't see her winning. No, no I, I can't either. It, it, would be a, it would be quite the upset. Uh, and speaking of upset, uh, travel... Once again. Oh yes, okay. We're gonna. I got to uh, prep the audience. We're gonna. We have to start this show because when somebody travels, we have horror stories to tell. <laughs> and I know for a fact that you already have a one part of it's a horror story because I don't. I've been on delayed flights, but twelve hours is too much. Yeah. Um, so we had a, it's only, it's only three hours from Austin to New York, and we decided to fly from Austin. On could have walked. Well, I'll tell you. By the time we were done. And you know, my, my mission is to get back into aviation. I could have flown us to uh, literally Westchester Airport, 15 minutes away, and back in the amount of time it took for us to get from uh, from Fredericksburg here. It was an hour and a half to, to drive to Austin, which is okay. And that's very normal for us now if we go to Austin. An hour and a half, no one cares. And we got there two hours ahead of time, anticipating crazy lines. And of course, there were no crazy lines. It was It was completely quiet. This I did not understand. Uh, And we are walking into the terminal and, oh, yes, your flight has been delayed. Instead of uh, 1230, it will be departing at three. Later, that turned into quarter four. And so for us to, to, what are you going to do? You're not going to go back into town or back home. You're not going to go into town. So we decided we just wait at the airport. Now, now this would have made me much, much madder. Had the keeper not had the foresight when we gave up all of our, uh, you know, our chase stuff and you know, we, we turned in all the cards, she said, let's get the Amex for points for traveling, which is also how we kind of saved, uh, you know, getting our money back from the failed Aruba trip because it's their travel agency. And it turns out that you can uh, use a number of lounges. And we were just flying uh, economy on, uh, on Delta. So we go to the, and the Delta Lounge at Austin is really, really nice. And so there's free food and drink. They got a full bar. Uh, you know, so I have to say it wasn't a horrible thing. Now, if we didn't have the card, I would be really mad because they did nothing for us. They're not, you know, nothing. Just, oh, yeah, well, it's too bad. And what was the reason? Well, we had a mechanical failure, uh, you know, problem on the, fl- the flight inbound. It's, why don't you switch that out? And we all know the answer. You got no one, to, no one to fly the switch out, and no one to sit with the other plane. It's it's broken. The system is busted. So this was very disappointing. The only good thing was no mask in the airport. That was wonderful. No mask on the plane. Although about let's say ten percent was still masked, uh, but no one, no no stink eye or anything like that from anybody that I could detect. And. Uh, <laughs> And we landed in New York, 
there the mask percentage is much higher. I'd say probably 30%. Um, but yeah, uh, but it, it, everyone's seems to be okay. And I heard that New York was still kind of, you know, dopey about it and people make, uh, make problems and, uh, but none of it was, it was, it was it, that was quite okay. But yeah, 12 hours, 12 hours to get from, uh, from Austin here. That was ridiculous. So I, I just can't do it anymore. I'm going to cancel everything until I can fly myself. Would you cancel? Where else you got planned? Meetups? Well, maybe I, I shouldn't. We're not, we won't cancel South Carolina, but come on. This, it's not going to get any better. Well, not in the near term, that's for sure. No, no, not in the in the in the medium or long term either. We need sixty thousand pilots by twenty twenty three, end of twenty twenty three. So no, and what's Pete, Pete Buttigieg doing? Working on racist roads or something? Get some pilots trained, bro. He doesn't know anything about transportation. No. You have to remember when he was assigned that job of Secretary of Transportation that he had no experience whatsoever in that field and claim that he did like model trains <laughs> is he a foamer is pete a foamer do you think i think he is a foamer he looks like one just imagine him with the with the with, the, with one the of those caps conductor's hat <laughs> you put yeah. a conductor's hat on him in your mind and you can see him wearing it comfortably and jumping up and down as as the train comes by Ooh, ooh look at that Ooh, ooh, possibly so we're oh. here for the uh for two reasons uh after three years uh my and my sisters could finally come over, and we could uh, put my dad to rest in the family cemetery plot. Um, which then turned into a mini curry reunion with about 50 people who came in from all parts of, uh, of the country, and even some, uh, of course, uh, uh, Tiffany from the Netherlands with her husband and with her son, and Willow with her kids and her husband. And we decided it would be fun to all stay in one big Airbnb. And that would be good if the advertising was right. And we're 11 people, or 11? 11 people. Like, oh, yeah, no, this place, this, this place. Oh, uh, yeah, it, yeah, yeah. a whole 50. Yeah, easily. <laughs> you got, oh, there's a pull-out sofa, sofa for two people. Yeah, no, that's really yeah, just a person and a half. Just give a whole 50. Don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Uh, but it was fantastic with, you know, Dutch, Italian, English, um, uh, my brother-in-law, Alessandro, cooking, you know, the Italian. Uh, it's really, really fun. Uh, but another reason that it was good to be here is, you know, Aunt Meg passed away, um, gee, four weeks ago. And so Don is basically here by himself. Now he's alone. He's 94. Um, they'd been married for 63 years. So, you know, this, that's a rough time for him. It was good to have everybody, uh, everybody hanging around. But what was kind of weird, and I've been to a number of these Curry reunions. The first one, I think, was 1977 or 76 that I can recall. There's been three or four since then. We have people in Kansas and uh, all, over, all over the country that come in. And now there's a whole new generation. You know, Christina's age. They're, you know, late 20s, their 30s. Man, I have been called boomer in the past two days at least fifteen times. It's getting okay, boomer. <laughs> no, just everything is boomer. This boomer that. Yeah. Uh, but the uh, you won't get out of the way. Exactly. Weather was great. Uh, it's been fantastic to tell all kinds of stories and remember everything. But there's one thing I do have to point out. Most of 
my family has is all East Coast. Many of them have lived extensive time in Washington D.C. in the area, uh, or or have at one point lived in D.C. So very East Coast. Um, I would say fairly liberal mentality, mainly because they, uh, as as good government issues do, they they love to listen to NPR and watch PBS. <laughs> now there was very little political talk going on, which I enjoyed, and there was just almost none of it. You know, not even about current events. It was just all about family. But almost to a T, every but. every single. At any event, there's a big butt. There's a big butt. And it goes like this. How can you stand to live in Texas? <laughs> how can The second one, how can you stand the Texas government? And it's, it's, uh, it's, I was blown away by that. So have you been to Texas? It no. doesn't surprise me in the least. Yeah. Well, I, I, wouldn't have, I wouldn't have off the top of my head thought that that would happen. But when once you say it, it doesn't surprise me in the least. This is like the the crazy little commentaries you'd hear on these talk shows where these people would get together when uh, tr- it was just not only Trump, but when Nixon won or when mm-hmm. any of these Republicans won. People, would, New Yorkers, would sit around going, "I don't understand how this guy possibly could win. Yeah. I don't know anyone who's voted for him." Yeah, yeah, it, it, it's well, yeah, you're right. I shouldn't be surprised, but because there was no political talk at all. But they questioned my 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 place sanity <laughs> sanity yeah perhaps sanity and, you know if, and I don't want to come across as a big you know defender uh, of Texas but I said you know it, you'd be surprised kind of how you should have done it in a drawl <laughs> hi let me tell you no, it's, it's like you you'd be surprised how moderate kind of Texans are and don't really care and we just kind of do our thing yeah do we have crazy radical uh, coverage of uh and and are the politicians out of control sure there's all kinds of crazy crap but to single it out that way it's like tech come on and many of them have uh served in fort hood uh, <laughs> yeah i was like okay that was just it was very notable and uh and i was like and my 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 go-to was always well i don't know you know we we bought our house from uh, from a, a gay couple and uh, everyone in the neighborhood seemed okay <laughs> with that i don't know yeah. There's always the eyebrow raise. Oh, oh really? Mm. And they, and are they still alive? Did they kill? So the they strung them up, man. So, but here's the here's the funny part about it. So they're talking about you know literally about Texas. How can you stand to live there? Can you stand the, the Texas government? Meanwhile, in Washington D.C., where many had driven up from. Good evening, and thank you for joining us on this Friday night. We want to begin with some breaking news as we come on the air. A scary scene here in the nation's capital as the search is on for a suspect accused of shooting multiple people. The mayor just moments ago calling the situation an active threat. Three people were shot, including one. Juvenile. Thankfully, all are in stable condition and expected to survive. At least six different law enforcement agencies are responding and trying to clear the scene. This is near a middle and high school, which was put on lockdown, and residents are told to shelter in place. Yeah, so they were on the phone with uh, with uh, some other you know acquaintances and friends, and some of them were locked in who live in that yeah. area. And I'm like, okay, yeah, Texas, pretty bad. Yeah. <laughs> Have you followed this thing? In D.C.? No, no. So they got a number of cool elements. They got, of course, shooting, uh, guns. And we, there's a war on guns for obvious reasons. 
Is there a middle name involved? Ooh, um, I'm not sure. I don't think there's a name in my report. Let's see what I have here. Federal and local law enforcement surged into northwest Washington, about four miles north of the White House, after gunshots erupted on a major thoroughfare in the nation's capital. We advised them on the scene of an active shooter. Person shot in the alleyway. Witnesses described hearing dozens of shots pulsing through the neighborhood, which houses multiple schools, a college campus, and embassies. Uh, we do not have a motive at this time. We do not know the full details of what took place. In an unverified video that the police have yet to identify, the shooter may have live-streamed the attack. Yeah. As the injured were rushed from the scene, residents were told to shelter in place as police cordoned off the area. And we're continuing to do a very thorough search. As you know, some of these buildings are very large. They're, they've taken some time for us to go through. Ellen Krug was blocks away waiting for news from her daughter. She was going to pick up her eighth grader and uh, heard all this uh, shooting. She thought it was a jackhammer, but it, it stopped and then it started again. And when she called us, she was so hysterical, I couldn't understand. What she- so that's uh, auto seer, I think, when she's talking about the jackhammer. So I think we got another one of those on our hands. One of the uh, uh, yeah, good good catch. The 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 what what is the the uh, switch the the Glock switch? Yeah, and what is this? I have one left. Maybe there's a name here in Washington D.C. The, the media has done a good job. Of, by the way, the media has done a great job of popularizing even to the two of us the switch. So now everybody knows about. We can all get one. Yeah, well, you, good work, media, because you, this is a good way. Yeah, to get, get this gun control. Well, even better than that, you can three D print one. Yeah, the plans the you plans can. are out. The plans are being distributed <laughs> everywhere. God, it's, <laughs> it's just a little thing. Yeah, it's just it's a very small, uh, small thing. Here, here's the last report. In Washington D.C., police today said the gunman who wounded four people Friday, including a child, fired more than a hundred rounds from a rifle. Oh. The suspect appeared to fire randomly from an apartment with a sniper-like setup. He was later found dead there. Okay, so now I'm confused. Did they just change that to a to a different weapon? What, did this guy have a sear on the on his AR? No, well, fu- if you if I think during the series report that I saw, they do make them for the AR. Oh yeah, well you you I mean again you can you can do it with a coat hanger. It's not that hard yeah. to to fashion but these things. Who knows? Yeah, but it's uh, so. But there you go, Washington D.C. You know, it's very strict gun laws. But no, Texas can't stand them. Yeah. I, I hope you made these arguments at the. At the Are bench. you insane? No way. <laughs> no way. No. This was. It was really nice, and especially hanging out with Don. You know, Don is ninety four, and the guy is sharp. But then sometimes just it'll just for a second it'll flip off, and you can see it, and it flips right back, and he knows it too. He goes zones out. Everybody does. Yeah, but man, he looks good. Uh, I'll get some uh, some pictures. He looks good for ninety four. With, a, with his hair, too. All his hair. Ah! My family's so cool. We get to keep our hair. So, uh, let's see. We got a lot going well, on. Let's start, let's start with the, with the, I checked out the morning shows. Because oh. I could. Mm-hmm. And I don't have any clips from them. I'm not going to do that. But mm-hmm. the big news, I do have, luckily, the clip of it, which is the big deal, is the Kevin McCarthy tape. Yeah, this is interesting. I've I've caught a little bit of and this. That's all they're talking about. And it and by the way, when I listened to uh, some of this stuff this morning, I real I finally realized what's going on, and it kind of explains this tape. It explains what I mean. They're going to make a big fuss. Can I, about can this, I give you my impression explain? just from ha- only having 
not really followed, but just cursory news, what my impression was, mm-hmm. that Kevin McCarthy uh, is worried about, you know, January 6th uh, committee, whatever. He, he laid down some, you know, some plausible deniability for himself. And I questioned the recording date of some of these phone calls. Well, that uh, the plausible deniability is not necessary. Uh, he he's already they still want to drag him in, but he has the for some reason where his position allows him to just say "fuck you," I'm not going. Mm. And so uh, he, there's nothing to worry about. There. What's his What's his but position? What's his position that he can do that? Isn't he just a he, he's a Senate minority lead? Or sorry, House minority leader. Yeah, we can't start dragging in your competition and grilling him for no good reason. That can't be done. Oh, okay. um, let's listen. Never to stopped them before. <laughs> Who have they drug in that, at that level? In well, they hearings? impeached uh, Trump twice. No, impeaching him is not the same as dragging him before a hearing. Mm, okay. Trump never came in. No, true. Um, Kevin McCarthy fiasco one. This will be a good background. It is all from NPR. Recordings of House Republican leader Kevin McCarthy show him saying that he wanted President Trump to resign after the January 6th attack on the Capitol back in 2021. Two New York Times reporters shared the audio last night on MSNBC. It's a little bit hard to hear, but this is McCarthy's voice. Yeah, yeah, I mean, the only discussion I would have with him is that I think this will pass, and it would be my recommendation we should be done. It would be my recommendation he should resign. That's the quote. Joining us to discuss this is NPR congressional reporter Claudia Grisales. Good morning. Good morning, Steve. I guess we should give the background here. Alex Burns and Jonathan Martin of the New York Times have a new book. They report that McCarthy wanted Trump to resign. McCarthy denied it, and now they've brought receipts. Exactly. McCarthy had issued a lengthy statement yesterday calling the Times reporting, quote, totally false and wrong. But this audio tape appears to upend that claim. It was part of a House Republican leadership call made soon after the attack. But we should know that note that NPR has not independently verified the tape, which was released last night as part of a book tour for Burns ah. and Martin. The then number three House Republican Liz Cheney can be heard in this tape asking McCarthy about whether a 25th Amendment succession plan could be triggered and about Trump's possible resignation. Is, is there any chance, are you hearing that he might resign? Is there any reason to think that might happen? I've had a few discussions. My gut tells me no. Um, I'm seriously thanking for having that conversation with him tonight. I haven't talked to him in a couple of days. Now, of course, we know that Cheney was later kicked out of her leadership role for sticking with these concerns about Trump. And subsequently, she became the ranking Republican on the House Select Committee investigating the January 6th attack on the Capitol. So book tour. How about that? Yeah, that, I, I think that's a distraction. Mm. To what's going on here? And okay. I'll tell you what I think was happening. And I only got triggered to these thoughts listening to Carl Rove this morning talking about as you do along with as uh, one does on a on a nice sunday on a morning you know when you're watching these tv shows so first of all i think cheney leaked the tape yeah and she denies this information was in the book it was challenged because the new york times wrote about the book it was challenged and then somebody leaked the tape who else would leak the who what kind of a douchebag 
would leak this sort of tape to embarrass. Uh, well, there's about two hundred in Congress who would do that, maybe more. But yeah, that, that would be Cheney. Sure, I believe that she denies it. Correct? I think this was a this wasn't a meeting with everyone in Congress. This was a closed meeting of the of the leadership. And Cheney was one of the leadership members at the time, if you recall. Okay. That's why she was kicked out of leadership Got it. position. Got it. I think that what was going on, and this is a, this is harkens back to my thesis about how important it is. I've tried to teach the kids how important it is to write a cover your ass memo all the time. Ah, yes. I think that Trump actually expected something bad to happen. That's when he wrote the cover your ass memo to Pelosi. This was a this. There's no doubt about it. There's no reason for this at all, except as a cover your ass moment to to cover his ass and do it well. He wrote a memo to Pelosi, uh, suggesting that they bring out twenty. If it did not that, you exaggerate. And a good cover your ass memo, you push it to the point where they ignore it. He said we should bring out twenty five thousand troops, troops, military. All right. to protect the Capitol because, oh, no, 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 you just did not, why take a chance? She ignored the memo if she even saw it. And the people above and below her all ignored this memo. This memo is his get out of jail free card. They're doing the hearings, ignoring the memo. They refuse to discuss the memo. They refuse to bring Pelosi to the fore. They refuse all this stuff. As soon as the House flips, which it will do in November. The memo will resurface. That'll all come right to the fore and that committee will be shut down overnight. But that was a cover your ass moment. And it was one of the best examples of it I've ever seen looking back on it. Now, McCarthy uh, didn't know about this memo. And it was at the moment, it was at the time of these, of these, you know, the riot, as they like to keep calling it, insurrection. Insurrection. A couple of clips where they, where they keep calling it, especially NPR, they keep calling it that, which is, I think, unconscionable that they do this because it's propaganda. Uh, McCarthy didn't know any better. And he saw this as a Nixon moment where they're going to impeach Trump and get, and, and, you know, and pull it off. And Nixon, Nixon was told by the uh, establishment of the Republican party, the McCarthy's of its, of his era, he has to resign. And that's when he resigned. And that's what he was. He was in that mode of thinking, not understanding that Trump who, we have to reassess Trump on and off again is not a dumb shit. And no. this cover your ass memo that he wrote, which really was a beauty. That's why Trump, I guess he heard from McCarthy and he said, no, I'm not, I'm not going to, and there's some other tape. I'm not, I'm not going to resign. There's no reason for it. And he was right. And they, but they went ahead anyway, trying to impeach him, even though it was like futile. And I, I just got nothing. I actually have more respect for Trump now thinking about this moment as, as a cover your ass moment and the importance of it for you kids out there. Anyway, what's uh, what's interesting, since you bring up Watergate, uh, this week is the 50th anniversary of Watergate. Yeah, it is. How about that for <laughs> another 70s throwback, huh? Uh, mm-hmm. I know you I hate it. You hate it when I do that. I, by the way, it's a segment now. <laughs> yeah, of course, it's a segment. Somebody's got to come. We up need with a jingle. jingle. We need a jingle. We need a jingle. That's right. 
So let's go to part two of this clip. A Cheney spokesman said this morning that the select committee has asked Kevin McCarthy to speak with us about these events, but he has so far declined. Representative Cheney did not record or leak the tape and does not know how the reporters got it. Her office is referencing a January ah, request right. there that the committee made to McCarthy where they raised the potential that he had previously discussed Trump's resignation and wanted him to talk about it to the panel. McCarthy, however, swiftly rejected the idea to testify. Now, what does this mean for the relationship between Kevin McCarthy and Donald Trump? And I guess we should remind people McCarthy would very much like to be Speaker of the House. Trump has been very critical of McCarthy, even though McCarthy uh, has on some occasions changed his views or muted his views about January 6th uh, to be supportive of Trump. Right, exactly. There was a shouting exactly. match between McCarthy and Trump during a phone call <laughs> on the day of the attack where Marthy, McCarthy pleaded with Trump to take notice that the rioters were actually Trump supporters, to which Trump responded, well, Kevin, I guess these people are more upset about the election than you are. Then McCarthy took to the floor <laughs> later to point the finger at Trump's role in the attack. And this riff looked like it was going to stay. That is until McCarthy flew to Mar-a-Lago within weeks of the attack and appeared in a photo with Trump seemingly mending this feud between them. Back then, anyway, what about now? Now, this obviously puts McCarthy in a tough position with his party, and he's getting mixed reviews this morning from his rank and file, but the ultimate judge here is likely Trump himself. And as we know, these two have mended their tensions in the past, so it's very possible he can survive this latest controversy, too. I am so happy you you got this, John, and your deconstruction, because my family will be listening, of course. Uh, and, uh, and I'm happy that, cause they'll love this. They'll love the fact, oh my God, that's a great political play. A lot of them understand this stuff. And that CYA memo, man, you nailed it with that. That makes a, that's, that's a smart move. And I think that the, you know, they leave all this stuff out of this report, but I think when McCarthy flew to Mar-a-Lago, I think he was introduced to the memo and, uh, then he went to Mar-a-Lago and he got to read it. And oh man, and he so said, "Okay, yeah, it's you're a trap." Right. So what's the trap? They tra- took the picture together. And they were fine. And if you listen to today's morning guys, they all say, "Yeah, they they seem to be okay with each other now." Well, why is that? So what's the trap? It's a January sixth committee trap. Yeah, excellent. And once and once, in fact, it's a good trap too because once the, it, it, it's not a trap unless the Republicans get the House, but they will. Yeah. So when they get so. the House and then they pull this up. They'll bring Pelosi to the to the thing. She's going to have to testify why she didn't take action on the memo. Everybody's going to why, and then they're going to bring up Schiff or make him talk about why you didn't br- introduce the memo. You knew the memo was there. All the right wing talk show people have been talking about the memo, but you guys refuse to even discuss it. And it's going to make the it's going to make the Democrats look even worse than they look now. I think I have. Uh, it's going to be a butt slam. <laughs> I think I have. Uh... Butt slam. I think I have Schiff in one of my clips about this. Let me see. The New York Times just released a recording after House Republican leader Kevin McCarthy denied telling top Republicans that he would urge President Trump to step down after the January 6th attack. According to the Times, the audio reveals McCarthy discussing plans to call the president directly and suggest he resign. ABC News White House correspondent Mary Ellis Parks joins me now with more on this. Uh, Mary Ellis, what's the reaction in Washington to this recording coming out? 
Yeah, Diane, pretty quiet so far for members of Congress. We're obviously looking for any additional statement from McCarthy, from Leader McConnell. Uh, we're going to continue to be pressing Republicans for their answers on this. There's, as you said, a serious credibility question here. It seems that Kevin McCarthy and his staff uh, was just completely dishonest with reporters about this, really caught in this trap where it now seems that someone had audio oh, trap. of that phone call. Yeah. And, and, you know, I, I, listening to it, I, there's a lot more. That's interesting she says that, caught in this trap. What is she? Uh, well, her trap, their trap is that, hey, did you tell, ask the president? No, I understand. Said, no, I didn't. No, I understand. Well, here's the tape. No, I understand. That's like a mediocre trap. I was going to say. Why? Mm, okay. And his staff uh, was just completely Strap. dishonest Strap. with reporters about this, really caught in this trap where it now seems that someone has. <laughs> a go figure. A politician is dishonest with the press. Oh. Video I know. I've never heard of such. By the way, I've never heard of such a thing. No, it's, it doesn't happen. Out this really caught in this trap where it now seems that someone had audio of that phone call. And, and you know, I, I, listening to it, I, there's a lot more questions that need answers. Questions about who exactly was considering a 25th Amendment move. Uh, you hear in the audio, uh, Representative Liz Cheney seemed to refer to prior discussions about uh, whether there's a move to, to invoke the 25th Amendment. That's obviously when uh, the president or members of cabinet can be removed from office. Um, there's a serious question about whether... McCarthy did at some point uh, tell Trump he thought he should resign. You hear in the audio recording, he says that that's what he thinks he should do, what he plans to do, what he thinks is the best course of action is if he advises uh, the president to resign, but it's unclear whether he ever actually had that phone call. Uh, and then, of course, uh, you know, we're going to have to continue to press yeah. Republicans about what happened, how they could be talking. Oh, my goodness. She's all jacked about it. Oh, and of course, we're going to have to. She's jacked. She's. she's we got to press the Republicans. We have things we can say we won't say. <laughs> Whether he ever actually had that phone call. Uh, and then, of course, uh, you know, we're going to have to continue to press Republicans about what happened, how they could be talking like this in the days immediately after January 6th, and then within a few days after that, swing so far in the other direction. Well, I have another clip. I, I know I have Schiff here somewhere. Newly released phone calls show Kevin McCarthy told fellow House this is CBS. Republican shortly after the U.S. Capitol attack, Donald Trump had acknowledged bearing some blame for it. He told me he does have some responsibility for what happened. Um, and he needs to acknowledge that. Authors of the new book, This Will Not Pass, have released a series of clips of McCarthy's phone calls with fellow Republicans from the days after the insurrection. In one call, McCarthy expressed frustration with the former president. I've had it with this guy. Uh, what he did is unacceptable. Um, nobody can defend that and nobody should defend it. In another, McCarthy said he was considering asking Trump to resign. That would be my recommendation. You should resign. Um, I mean, that would be my take, but I don't think he would take it. McCarthy is now being accused of being deceitful, as he said he didn't remember the earlier phone call. Those comments made less than three weeks before he made this pilgrimage to Mar-a-Lago. Pilgrimage. Sure A pilgrimage. Talking about, so. And he had denied ever recommending Trump should resign. Several members of the January 6th committee tell CBS News they've long sought an interview with McCarthy and said the audio shows McCarthy could shed light on Trump's mindset. Oh, why is that revelation important to your committee? I, I think it is very important that Kim McCarthy has evidence the former president acknowledged uh, bearing some responsibility for that attack on the Capitol. Uh, this is an admission of guilt by the former president. A subpoena yeah. to the House Republican leader. <laughs> this, this, by the way, they're doing this Jedi mind trick 
by there's so much audio and then by saying something like that and, and I would also blame CBS for uh for editing it that way and then to say you know what Schiff just said is taking your mind into you know what what you're supposed to believe Trump said here. I think it is very important that Kim McCarthy has evidence the former president acknowledged uh, bearing some responsibility for that attack on the Capitol. Uh, this is an admission of guilt by the former president. <laughs> a subpoena to the House Republican leader. So he, there's no audio tape of Trump with any admission of guilt, but because McCarthy says something, that's, you know, that's... And by the way, whenever Schiff shows up, usually the operation fails. This guy, except for, you know, I think he actually delayed the impeachment. With, with his shenanigans, made it worse. But whenever this guy shows up, the op doesn't work too well. Trigger a legal dispute, and time is running short. The committee hopes to have public hearings next month. We do feel a sense of urgency. Because the hearings will tell um, a story that will really blow the roof off the house. Wow, I hadn't heard that either. Did you hear how they edited those two together? No, play it again. It's two different people. It's Schiff, and then they cut to, uh, of guilt I think. By the former president. A subpoena to the House Republican leader could trigger a legal dispute, and time is running short. I, the committee hopes to have public hearings next month. We do feel a sense of urgency because the hearings will tell... Wow! They just cut to a whole different person. Is that Schiff as well? Yeah, it's not, well, it sounds like it, but you know, that the, the clip of Schiff is... Okay, maybe. I think you're right. The committee hopes to have public hearings next month. We do feel a sense of urgency because the hearings will tell um, no a story that will really blow the roof off the house. That's not Schiff. So they yeah, cut a different from, guy. Yeah, they cut from Schiff to that guy. Huh. All right. Yeah, they're playing around. Macron, 58% ahead of uh, Le Pen. So it looks like he's going to crush her. France is a socialist country. They're not going to put her in. Yeah. Good try. Was this her fourth time? I don't know how many times it is, but it's just, it's getting futile. They got to find somebody better than her. Yeah. Um, I mean, the, the, the French world, it hasn't gotten so bad that they have to kick their socialist people out. Mm-mm. But They will eventually, but this is not it. Okay, so we'll see. We'll see where this goes. Do you, do we have a timeline this January sixth? Because everything seems to be kind of ratcheting it up and and getting ready for. The, and in fact, I do have a short last clip, which is probably worth listening to about the uh, the report. In the spirit of disclosing private conversations, did you tell House Republicans on the January 11th phone call that President Trump told you he agreed that he bore some responsibility for January 6th, as Chairman Thompson's letter indicates? I, I'm not sure what call you're talking about. Really? Really? I think you probably know where I'm going with this. Roll the tape. But let me be very clear to all of you. No, and no, I, I, don't, I don't even know what that is. I don't even know what that is. No, either. I don't. Ignore. Um... This there's a lot of hearsay. You know, this is a desperation, as far as I can tell, by the uh, Democrats, because there's there's nothing that that is improving their chances for November. No, and no. it's it's got nothing to do with any of this. Nobody cares about January sixth, except the you know the the talk shows and some NPR outlets and the insurrection 
haters and all the rest of well, it. Well, there's at least 100 they, they people care who care. about the gas price and the <laughs> fact that beef prices are through the ceiling and chickens. Now there's no good chickens going to be expensive. $4 a pound for 50, 55 cent chicken. Give me a break. Speaking of, uh, someone sent me uh, a cover of Time Magazine, April 9th, 1973. Uh, uh, food prices, the big beef, <laughs> don't eat meat. What is going on? It's, it's, okay, where's I got? Okay, let's get the seventies stuff. I got where's my? I have a seventies repeat. This here's my seventies report. It's under seventies report. The roller skating going on in New York. Ooh, hold on a second. Seventies uh, reports. Here we go. <laughs> New York's famous skating rink at Rockefeller Center has gone retro. Skaters are ditching their blades and putting on wheels. Nice. <laughs> I hope they're playing music like that as they do it. The last time the Rockefeller Center rink welcomed roller skaters was in the 1940s. Now they're back. The beauty of roller skating is that the minute you strap on the wheels, everything goes out of the window. Liberty Ross came up with the idea to transform the Rockefeller Center rink for roller skating. Yeah, baby. Although that's 80s, but we'll take it. In the late 1970s, her father owned one of the hottest spots in Los Angeles, the famous Flippers Roller Boogie Palace. People that went to the original flippers, they all say, like, yeah, you know, I was like holding hands with Cher while I was skating around the thing. <laughs> you know, it was like Arnold Schwarzenegger, Jane Fonda, Kareem Abdul Jabbar, Herbie Hancock, everybody was there. She wanted to recreate that magic of that attraction that closed in 1981. And for its debut in New York, the stars came out to roll. There's Usher, there's Floyd Mayweather, there's, you know, Meek Mill, there's Mary J. Blige, but they're skating with everyone. Ross promotes roller skating as an alternative to getting lost online. Less scroll, more roll. Put the phones down, <laughs> you know, and just be in your body, feel the wind in your hair, hear that music, and just let go and enjoy the feeling oh, of yeah. freedom. Flipper's Roller Boogie Palace at Rockefeller Center is open through October. Bell bottoms not required. Uh, yeah, Whoa. but bell bottoms are a thing now, whether they're not required. Good one. Less scroll, more roll. You know, the New York Times had a, uh, a Now, piece. that was from Flippers in the 70s in Los Angeles. She just rebuilt the old 70s operation. It, 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 with all the bull crap that was in that report, like, for example, what is, what, why is roller skates more freeing in that regard than ice skates? I have no idea. It's bull crap. That's yeah. why. Yes. <laughs> Listen, this was this morning in the New York Times. It's about the, in fact, the uh, the title is, it's not just high, high oil prices, it's a full-blown energy crisis. And that rhymes. Listen to this. The parallels with the 1970s are obvious. Get ready for them. The oil shock in the wake of the Yom Kippur War in October 1973, which involved the world's rising oil producer, Saudi Arabia, was extremely disruptive economically and geopolitically. The first shock was followed in 78 to 79 by the revolution in Iran and Iraq's invasion of Iran, plunging the two oil producers into a long war. Um, then one geopolitical era, with the United States as the world's largest oil producer, and Britain, uh, the military guarantor of Western energy interests in the Middle East, unraveled. This is interesting. Do we have a parallel to this? 
So keep reading. As the Arab state seized control of production and prices from the seven big Anglo-American companies, the sisters, that had controlled oil in the Middle East for decades, Western economies stagnated under the, under the inflationary pressure, stagnation, inflation, stagna- stagflation, supercharging protests, strikes, and electoral realignment across, across Western democracies. In the final paragraph, what lies ahead promises to be more disorderly. That's right, we're doing the 70s better, people ultimately transformative than the events of the 1970s. This is indeed a bigger disruption. During the geopolitical upheaval of the 70s, the physical supply of oil from the world's reserves was never the issue. Now, with Asian energy demand vastly higher than it is than it was, it is. And demand for gas and coal may well also exceed worldwide output over the next few years. We appear to have entered a time when countries will have to compete for the world's remaining accessible fossil fuels and governments openly choose geopolitical alliances to secure them. Charging stations. <laughs> Hundreds of them. No, no. Oh, my goodness. All right. You're jumping around on me, but this was our president. One of the things I've found out as the president of the United States, I get to spend a lot of that money. I get to decide where. No, I'm not joking. And we're going to completely, but before, we're going to start the process where every vehicle in the United States military, every vehicle is going to be climate friendly. Every vehicle. We're going to have a, no, I, I mean it. We're spending billions of dollars. Woo! And, uh, and it's going to matter. You know, it matters. You know, in my view, this crisis, as I said, is a, a genuine opportunity, an opportunity to do things we wanted to do and only now have become so apparent. Drunk or not drunk. So uh, the military is by far the but, largest uh, uh, greenhouse gas producer with, uh, yeah. with their equipment. When he says climate friendly, what does he mean? I don't know, but I can ask you a question first. Yeah. When he says he's going to make it more green and more climate, climate friendly, friendly. And he gets a round of applause. And yes. during the applause, he says, no, I mean not, it. Yeah, it's not a joke. <laughs> yeah. What, what is he? Well, again, what, it's whenever what does he, he think the applause means whenever he gets applause. That's what he says. No, it's not a joke. That's just it's, it's Tourette's. No, it's not a joke. I don't know. Right. We've well, gone through this. Continue thing because since you brought Biden in, I can get my Biden clips out. Go of for way. it. Go for it. Well, if you want it, okay. First of all, we heard not a joke. Not a joke. You know, I mean it. Yep. You've heard. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's got a couple other things. He says you, you know you know the thing. You know the thing. Yeah. He says that. Yeah. You, can you think of any other, other little bromides he keeps throwing in? Uh, not offhand, but I, I you mention them, I'll know them. Well, I've got one for you right here. See if you can pull this one out because I, I got a couple of examples in, a, in just a series of small clips by him. This is the repeating phrase. Tell me if you can figure out what it is he keeps saying for some stupid reason. Do what the federal government hadn't done. Well, guess what? We had a, we had a long talk. Good jobs lost over time. Well, guess what? <laughs> Fine. Guess what? We're part of the reason for the global warming. Well, guess what? We had a, it, it, all, it all evaporated. Well, guess what? You know, when we were kids, if someone said that, the standard response would be, what? I do that with my kids. Of course you do. This, this is where I learned. I learned by watching you, okay? <laughs> oh, okay. another 70s throwback right there. The marijuana commercial from the 70s. Yeah, see? It's, 
Oh, I wish we were doing the show in the 70s. We could just do reruns. Be perfect. Guess what? Guess what? What? Guess what? Guess what? Guess what? What kind of a president is it that says, keep saying guess what like a 12-year-old? Well, when it comes to diction and crazy shit, Trump had his uh, had his had his moments too. He had a whole bunch of stuff. Yeah, but they weren't twelve year old stuff necessarily. Let's listen to some other stuff. Let's let's hear some breakdowns. This is Biden that you got the repeating phrase, so we got that figured out. Uh, this is the one I've been wanting to play, which is where he throws prostitution in out of the blue. And some had, phrase. Sorry. Here yeah, we go. Play. Imagine had the tobacco industry been immune. The prostitute being sued. What was that you think? That he's immune to prostitution? <sighs> it had his prostitution I'm, on the mind. Some must have talked about no, something Hunter did. He, no, he must have been thinking of something else. Constitution? Maybe he was confused. Constitution? Uh, okay, here's Biden. Hold on, let me, let, 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 let me hear this again. Imagine had the tobacco industry been immune to prostitute being sued. Oh, prosecution. He wanted to say prosecution. That's what. It, imagine the tobacco industry being immune to prosecution, but it comes out as prostitution. Prostitution. Yeah. Well, no. Obviously, we know what he's thinking. Of. Imagine had the tobacco industry been immune. Hookers. To prostitute being sued. Hmm. <laughs> I like the way he switches it to being sued. being sued. <laughs> it's like Porky Pig we're dealing with here. No, it's so, elder uh, elder okay. abuse is what we're dealing with here. Here's so here's a few of the lies. And by the way, the media loves to be all over the f- place with this, you know, fact check and this and that and the 10,000 lies by Trump. But they never say shit. Only the right wingers say shit about stuff like this. Here he is on his full professorship. I've been on a lot of university campuses. Matter of fact, for four years, I was a full professor at the University of Pennsylvania. Fact check false. Yeah, we did He's it. He's never been a full professor at the university. Does he even know what a full professor is? Well, that is probably the issue. He doesn't know what that is. What is a full professor? He, didn't he have an honorary degree? He may have gotten a degree and he may have been a lecturer at, at some point in, during a summer course or who knows what. Uh, but, you know, there, to get to full professor, you have to go through a process. You have to have a – I don't know very few that don't have a PhD or some upper – at least a master's. He doesn't – you know, this – no, you have to. It's, you're you're no slouch to be a p- full professor. You just don't become one, right? Like out of the blue, like that. Mm. Here's another one. Here's Biden. Biden makes a big fuss about Trump when he's blaming others, blaming, blaming. Here's the tr- the Biden blaming clip. I grew up in a family where, when the price of gasoline went up at the pump, it was a conversation at the kitchen table with my dad. Putin's invasion of Ukraine has driven up. Gas prices and food prices all over the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, boots okay. are boots on the gr- moment. Boots on the ground from Italy. Yep. Willow says their electric bill in the past two months has gone up three hundred percent in Italy. <laughs> three hundred, and now uh, all public buildings are going to and condos will be regulating uh, air temperature. So during the uh, summer months. Buildings, public buildings, and uh, and condominiums are going to adhere to this. And apartment buildings may not make it colder than twenty seven degrees uh, centigrade. What is that? Do we know what that is in Fahrenheit? Sixty seven, I think. Mm, no, I think it's higher than that. It's eighty degrees. 
And during the winter? No, no, it's not. Definitely not 80. 27 degrees centigrade is 80 degrees Fahrenheit. Yes. So you can't make a building colder than that? Nope. And during the during the winter, you can't make it warmer than 19 degrees. Oh, so I say during the summer. So it gets sweltering at 80 <laughs> Can't lower it. That's it funny. Yeah. So when it's eighty degrees, you can't lower it, and you can't you can't heat your building over sixty six Fahrenheit. Yikes! That's cold. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, wow. Well, yeah. yeah. You're in for it. Yeah, well, here's the here's the blame right here. This is the Biden on price hikes. Uh, here we go. Of the increase in inflation was a consequence of Putin's price hike because of the impact on oil prices. 70%. We need, we need to address these high prices and urgently. You know, I got this report which, about this urgent addressing of, the, uh, of, the high, of Putin's price hike. And Bloomberg n- now reports that uh, you know, we, we, we took some oil from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. Which is a real thing. Uh, they are actually the salt domes, and I think is it uh, Louisiana? Uh, so, you know, we were we were asking about They're that a couple shows back. Where. Yeah, we, we didn't. I mean, you specifically said, "Where is this? Is it real?" And yeah, it's the salt domes uh, that they pump full. So Bloomberg reports a tanker known as the Advantage Spring loaded low sulfur crude, uh, originally pumped from the Strategic Reserve caverns in Southwest Louisiana at a port in Nederland, Texas, earlier this month. According to a person familiar with the matter, so take that for what it's worth. The ship, chartered by an affiliate of French energy giant Total Energies, is bound for the key European port of Rotterdam. So we emptied our strategic reserves and we're shipping it over to Rotterdam? I mean, I understand that oil is fungible and, you know, as long as you get more supply into the market. But why don't, uh, I mean, why is that just to rip off the Dutch and the French? What? Yeah. So our, our strategic well, reserve was sent on a ship to Rotterdam by a French energy company. So we released our strategic reserve. Let me summarize. So we are released, summarize according to Bloomberg. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're releasing our strategic reserves because we have high energy prices mm-hmm. and we want to get the price of gasoline down. And we're releasing our energy reserves and shipping them to Holland? Yes, sir. I'm not an officer. No, I know, okay. but every, everyone around me here, the, the weekend is a sir. Believe me. So. <laughs> bet, yes, I, There's a I lot of yes, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes. That's funny. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. I mean, again, oil is fungible, so it, you can make the argument if questioned, but I don't see anyone questioning this. It feels kind of icky. That's our stuff. Well, I want to see that. You got to send me the link to that thing. That That is like, and, what? And I think we filled it up during the pandemic when oil was, you know, zero. I remember Trump boasting about that. I filled it up to the brim. Let me see. I think we well, have Well, now that. we're draining it. Uh, let's see. Strategic reserves. Wow. I wonder if we had that clip. That's a damn, that is just an offbeat story. Well, offbeat is it's it's kind of infuriating to a degree. Yeah. Come on. Who's the who's the? Oh, that's because the director, their energy secretary, that Granholm woman who drives around a Chevy Bolt, is uh, she hates oil. Yeah. Yeah. It's like we we need to fix stuff, but not on my not in my backyard. Get that nasty oil out of here. Yeah, that's probably something like that. 
It's like, well, you know, we can have climate change from the oil, but let the, let the French and the Dutch do it. That's better. And then this story from the Telegraph, as we kind of move into Ukraine, France and Germany, after 2014, uh, after the uh, Crimea annexation, there was an EU-wide embargo on any arms shipments to Russia. Oh, well, you know, France and Germany kind of ignored that and sent 350 million euros worth of uh, weapons to, uh, to Russia, sold it. Against the regulations. And so now... Bef- arms dealers is arms dealers. Yeah, I know. But it, it, these are the governments who just it just ignored ignored yeah, the sanctions. The, the, the mob-run governments that are arms dealers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, speaking of Biden. To modernize Teddy Roosevelt's famous advice, sometimes we will speak softly and carry a large javelin because we're sending a lot of those in as well. You know, but we're not we're not sitting on the funding that Congress has provided for Ukraine. We're sending it directly to the front lines of freedom. Lie. And the lie is we're not sending the eight hundred million dollars. We're sending the old stuff and we're buying new stuff with eight hundred million dollars. So I, I got a, some pushback from one of the people on the No Agenda Social with one of my comments I just okay. made. All right. I said, oh, you know, this is, we're just being, we're being suckered by the Ukrainians. And we're just giving them all this stuff that even though it's old and useless, but still. And the guy says, you got, you're completely missing the boat here, Dvorak. <laughs> he says, this is a Lend-Lease deal. This is, they we're not giving them anything. We're charging them for this stuff they, on a loan basis. And we're going to put them in such debt that they're going to be forever indebted. And this is a, just a modern version of the uh, economic hitman right in front of us, right before your very eyes, dummy. Well, that's interesting. That's what I said. Huh. Lawrence Wilkerson was a colonel in the army. He was chief of staff uh, to Colin Powell. Uh, he ran stuff during the uh, Bush-Cheney White House, I think. Yeah, Bush-Cheney White House. And he was interviewed, and he just kind of laid it out what's going on here. There is a sneaking suspicion in the back of my mind that uh, because I've been there, I've seen this happen, not to this extent, but I've seen things like it happen, that there are some oligarchical elements to this in Europe and the United States, and perhaps even in Russia, Russia. that would like to see a real mess because it's very profitable for them. Mm. It sells arms, it sells things associated with arms, it gets everybody <laughs> up as far as shareholders of people like Lockheed Martin, Raytheon Grumman, and their equivalents in Ukraine and Russia and elsewhere. It gets them very excited because it looks like there will be war and rumors of war for a long time, which is, of course, what gives them their profit margins. Um, that there would be some kind of insidious design to enhance, deepen, this crisis would not surprise me at all. Why would he say that? I don't know. He's just trying to show off maybe that he knows something. I would say that another thing to look at in this regard uh, is that the Russians, I mean, he even kind of implies the Russians are involved in this scheme. The Russians have done very little to flatten, rubbalize the traditionally important places like Kiev has not been flattened. Uh, he has, they've sent no missiles into Lviv, which is the, you know, like a world heritage site. Nobody wants to touch that. 
And it's almost right. like it's like kid gloves, you know, in certain areas. The other part, hell with it, it would just blow it up. Mm. Uh, I find that peculiar. You know, it's, you know, it's not it's not the swath of, of rubbleization. It's just selective rubbleization. You know, my uh, my whole family, they've been around since the Cuban Missile Crisis, or many of them around since the Cuban Missile Crisis. And again, none of this came up. Uh, but you'd expect, uh, you know, if you were talking about Putin, you'd probably get the, you know, he wants to restore the USSR. That would probably be wh- what I'd hear. Um, but, uh, you know, as they're kind of winding down this uh, this property here, one of my cousins, she uh, gathered up some stuff that her mom had saved throughout the years, like a, an email from my mom to her uh, January 11th, you know, when sh- she was in Holland and, and was worried about family who were... Uh, in New York, or of course, who knew what was going on in D.C.? But there's also a note from my dad when uh, I think we're in the Netherlands, and uh, he's emailing someone in the family. And you know, it's just, it, it, of course, it, back in the day, if you wanted to make a call long distance from the Netherlands in the '70s to uh, uh, to the U.S., it was like five dollars a minute, and there was this echo on the line, and shh, you could hear this all this hiss and. Um, so w- people wrote letters, typed letters, and, and there was a type letter in there. And at the end, my dad says some, I, I should have it in front of me, says some of the effect of, well, I uh, hope everything's going well uh, in the U.S. and uh, we can uh, hold back those uh, perverted pinko commies. I'm like, wow, people really talk that way <laughs> about the Russians in the 70s. And that was just normal parlance. Yeah. There's a lot of normal parlance you can find in some old movies that, unfortunately, they keep trying to keep the kids from hearing it, and uh, which is kind of a shame. I'm sorry, what do you mean? Well, like when uh, the, the movies about Japan with Japs was just the normal parlance for yeah. referring to Japanese <laughs> yeah. people. Yeah, are you are you asking for this to come back? Is that your? Is that no, your <laughs> no? But I think it's, it, I'm not asking. Bring for back, to come back Japs, damn it! What, what I'm, uh, if you let me finish. I'm just saying these are historical documents, mm-hmm. these movies, and the, to prevent people from having to get to hear this stuff, they won't realize how, you know, how much change. You don't get any perspective. There's no perspective. And you need to hear about pinko commies. Yeah. Which is true. They call them pinko commies. Mm-hmm. Uh, reds. Reds. reds yep. Uh, for perspective. And for perspective is being lost and i think when perspective is lost you lose a lot more than just uh, uh historical information i think you lose a, a grip on reality the pinko yeah that's true there was something i wanted to, what did i have oh yes there was a promo i think this is the history channel because you mentioned the reds listen to this foretells four horsemen who will bring God's final judgment upon our world. The white horse of the Antichrist, the pale horse of pestilence, the black horse of famine, and the red horse of war. The appearance of the rider on the red horse promises to piss mankind in the crossfire between the forces of good and evil in the battle of Armageddon. Yeah, so wait a minute. So we've got the reds. We got that. We got the red horsemen. We got the uh, we got the 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 black horseman of pestilence. What yeah, am I missing? Bill Gates. <laughs> uh, well, it's uh, COVID. Uh, we have the uh, the horseman of uh, food famine, which is on its way, but we haven't identified the Antichrist yet. 
Oh, that's Putin. No, many. You know who many no. people say that many Christians. You know who they think it's going to be? Who it's going to turn out to be? Trump. Jared Kushner. Oh yes, I've heard this a million. I've heard this too. I, I'm I'm clued into this. Jared. I, Kushner I love this. Nonsense. I love this bullcrap. <laughs> Jared love Kushner. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I've yeah. It's I don't know. Uh, I want to just say something. You should note that that came from the History Channel. Yeah. What happened to these people? <laughs> How did the History Channel become the Hitler Space Alien Channel? Uh, they had lack of ratings, and they saw what worked. And the, the, uh, by the way, I'd like to say something about CNN Plus because it, it, it's ah it's, yes, please. It's not entirely fair what's going on here. So everyone's all jacked I, I up. Think like it's more than. Oops, you thought it was. You, you can't think it's fair because you just got killed. Are you back? Okay. You think no, I'm back. I think it's more than fair, and but I, I'll appreciate your comments. The reason I – so, you know, the story is CNN Plus. They went streaming. Uh, there was a lot of uh, big-name talent. Uh, was it Chris Wallace from Fox went over? And uh, a lot of people were all and jacked about it. Et cetera. Who else? Oh, Scott Galloway. <laughs> Never heard of him. Yeah, you do. That's from The Professor and Kara Ann. Yeah, I know. Yeah. So these kinds. Of, but anyway, Brian Stelter. And – uh, so after a month, they had ten thousand subscribers. That's the, that's what's out on. That's the word on the street. And so it got no, shut. No, no, I, I have a correction. I believe I could be wrong, but I believe it was a hundred thousand subscribers, but only ten thousand viewers. Possible. Um, okay. And then so after a month, it gets shut down, and it's heralded immediately as a win over the woke. And that's I'll tell you what went down here. This was planned before the the takeover, before the before um, uh, Discovery is about or AT and T really is about to buy CNN, and so the new management came in and they saw this thing and they went, okay, that's great, we're shutting that shit down, and we'll put part because they want they have a whole different streaming strategy. I guess they want to do a big Discovery app, or I'm not sure what they are. Discovery Plus, but yeah. But what they don't want is to break it up into all these little pieces. And, in fact, they say that some of the programming they were doing, I can't imagine what, uh, we'll, mo- <laughs> we'll move over to CNN. Well, I got a piece of that. I got a piece of the, um, my goodness, where's, uh, where's Stelter? Stelter had a huge show. Uh, with you know, That was, the, that was the, the woke show. Listen to this. I, I'm sad. And I hope that Brian Stelter does get to continue to do his his streaming uh, productions because it's glorious to listen to. We'll have the latest on Elon Musk shortly, but we're leading today's show with the rarely seen human toll of America's latest fight over LGBTQ rights. Let's just be honest. Hold on a second. America's latest fight? No, it's not America's latest fight. You know, I think. How, how is it latest? What is like just started last week? What is he talking about? Because it's nonstop. We're just a bunch of a holes. This fight over LGBTQ rights. Let's just be honest. Okay. Hate and homophobia is lurking right beneath the surface in American politics right now. Years of increasing acceptance of gays and transgenders is provoking a backlash on right wing talk shows and in state houses. That's the backdrop for this Washington Post piece about libs of TikTok, a Twitter account that shares and sometimes ridicules public posts from progressive educators and others deemed libs. 
Libs. Kelly Lorenz's story revealed the identity of the conservative woman running Libs of TikTok. And now there's a roiling debate about her story and the ethics of it. But there's no debating the influence of the Libs of TikTok account. It's even helped inform Florida's recent parental rights law deemed the don't say gay bill by opponents. So here's what I want to know. What's it like to be caught in the middle of all this? What's it like for an educator who says the don't say gay law is a life or death issue for young trans people? So that's the last, it's the last sentence. What's it like for a life or death issue for young trans people? Well, what does he consider young? Because this will affect uh, seven-year-olds and younger. But it, the way he says it kind of comes across as, you know, young, like teenagers. Third graders. Third graders, exactly. Yeah, what third grader, second grader for that matter, first grader. I was a former first grader, and I was in the second and third grade. And I remember very clearly what was going on then. I had a crush on my teacher. I think it was Miss Rose. And, you know, just a dumb, you know, oh, she's so pretty. And I... uh and, you know, girls were, you know, they were there. And if you had a chance, you'd pull on their hair or something. Uh, this is kind of dumb crap. Uh, you get it, you know, you might kind of be attracted to women. You, were, you weren't thinking about sex, that's for sure. You, I think that began, began with your, when you're a boy, it takes longer. Girls, I guess, get a clue earlier. But around 12, who's thinking of turning into a, want to change their gender when they're, Seven. Well, that depends. If uh, if your parents are uh, have been indoctrinated and uh, are taught to be on alert for signs, and uh, there's a path, and there's an entire I, infrastructure, I, entire I'm infrastructure. I'm lucky to be alive. Yes. I like. I was always told this, and I vaguely remember when I was a little little kid. I liked dolls. I just like dolls. I think they were fun to you. Know, they were like so, you know, toy soldiers are the same thing to me. Yeah, you look green stand army them man. up and you'd have them fight. Yeah, the, I always had the green army men shoot my sister's dolls. That was pretty cool. That was good. I like that. That's cool. <laughs> we used to have uh, uh, cap guns in the day. You know, cap was, guns, uh, yes, cap guns. Oh, beautiful. We can't even do that anymore. We can't do anything. Oh, uh, my uh, my teacher's name was Miss Casper. Uh, I did also have a crush on Miss Casper. Uh, but it was Bernie, what was her last name? Uh, at her birthday party, I can't remember what her last name she, I gave her a gift, and my, I remember my mom was there, and a whole bunch of kids, you know, and people giving gifts. And then she just lunged forward and kissed me for it. And I remember, like, holy crap, what just happened? What, what grade was this? First grade. Wow. And she was cute, I, at least what I remember. I wish I remembered her last name. You Bernie. must have been a you must have been a cute little kid. Do you have pictures of you in the first grade? Uh, yeah, yeah. Because cute little kids, cute little boys, always, you know, I think you'd get kissed a lot. Well, than after, that, I, the blue. after that, I got bullied a lot. It's like, oh. You, well, that's you probably for the same reason. <laughs> yeah. Now, hey, hey, pretty boy, come over here. So speaking of the latest, what, what did Seltzer Water say there? The latest LGBTQ yeah. fight? I miss what you said. Newsweek. Newsweek uh, has an article, The New Homophobia. Now listen to this. There is a frightening, this is Newsweek. There's a frightening new version of homophobia pervading the U.S. disguised as, of all things, LGBTQ activism. For adult gay people like me, it's clear that the activism does not advance our equality, but in fact compromises our ability to live peacefully in society. In fact, 
It's threatening our very existence. So then uh, it's an opinion piece. The writer goes on to talk about how he enrolled in Columbia to complete his undergraduate, and he ver- volunteered at Maryland's marriage equality campaign uh, and the subsequent transgender rights legislation. He's a gay, gay man. Uh, is this, this is part of that we've, by the way, we should mention that over been years that you, I think, initially spotted and I followed up. The anti-gay male yep. movement, yep. which is part of plus LGBTQIA+. My excitement about the internship quickly gave way to a nauseating mixture of fear and shame. I was, I quickly learned, not the right kind of queer. I was just another cis gay male. In other words, a privileged and unevolved relic of the past. After all, I had my rights, the right to marry, the right to serve openly in the military, the right to assimilate into this oppressive, cis-heteronormative, patriarchal society. It was time to make way for a new generation of queer, one that had very little to do with sex-based rights and more to do with abolishing the concepts of sex and sexuality together. It's worth a, it's worth a read, but as, as we've talked about many times, to say LGBTQ community is just a bunch of bullcrap. The L's actually move the L in front of the G. Yes, we pointed that out years ago. Yeah. In fact, I think it was at some point it was GBL. It was. It was gay, I bisexual, was, lesbian. I brought this up when I was at. I, yep. No talking about that. I now. thought it was great. Hold on. Can you, say, you brought this up what? I brought this up when I was at uh, the Cranky Geek Show. We had a, one of the producers was a real gay. I mean, that, 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 I, I know that doesn't sound right. Was that Sebastian? I mean, no. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't resist. <laughs> I hope funny. he's listening. <laughs> yeah, he's not listening. He doesn't care. But uh, this guy was one of the, he was a, a very aggressive gay. So he would go on these cruises to, uh, he would talk about, and he'd tell us everything. He go on these gay cruises that were that took place, and he said the main place they would always go was Haiti. The backside of Haiti oh. was a place where all these gay cruises would go, and they needed to tell that it was pretty raucous. Mm-hmm. But he, uh, he, I brought this up to him, and he says he says a lot of gay men are still irked about the switcheroo, or somehow the L sure. got to the front of that little moniker. Sure, absolutely. Yeah, it was gay, lesbian, gay, gay GLBT. It, it was, was GLBT. No, yes, GLBT. You're right. Gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender. That's right. Well, but first I think it was G, G, GBL or GLB. I can't remember exactly. I don't remember. But anyway. I, know is I remember when it was GLBT. I remember it. And he, I brought it up to him and he was he was still, he's, he, he says a lot of people are irked about this. It's really stupid because... You know, they are, in fact, being exclusive. They're not. He's a cis gay male. I thought cis could only work for us. You know, oh, yeah, we're, we're just the cis guys. Well, it's unbelievable. Well, let them fight amongst themselves is the way I see it. So what does this mean in the troll room? Imagine being proud of knowing all of the queer groups. WTF, Adam. Yeah, I care about uh, Americans. I don't care what they are. We are news and analysts. Yeah, and we have to know all up. this stuff. You think we, you, does the guy in the troll room think we should be idiots about this and not know? What does that mean? Yeah. What is the Q in that debt moniker? I don't know. No, we have to know this stuff whether you like it or not. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but this, but this, there's a real revolt taking and place. I'm in California. Hello. There's a revolt in Fredericksburg. You know, we've got uh, 
a gay couple who've been running a very, very famous restaurant there for 12, 15 years. And they're not like, they, what is this BS? What's going on? They're, they're getting mad now. So it's dumb. It's dumb. There will be a revolt. Can we switch topics so I can get to, I yeah, get these clips that are kind of funny. This is about totalitarianism. They, it's becoming a topic now on NPR. Okay. So, the, and this, this involves an Ask Adam. Uh, this is a four-parter, five-parter, actually. They brought this woman on to discuss uh, a, a, either a Ford or a, a re-release of a Hannah Arendt book. And I thought this was pretty funny. This is Annie Applebaum. She's on NPR talking, and this is, I, I and who is she? title the first clip is Annie Applebaum, NPR Propaganda, and this will give us our lead in. We turn now to Anne Applebaum, the Pulitzer Prize-winning historian, has written about the current rise of populist authoritarian regimes around the world. She's authored the introduction to the new Folio Society edition of Hannah Arendt's post-World War II classic, The Origins of Totalitarianism. That may seem especially resonant during these times of Russia's invasion of Ukraine, Chinese mass detention centers, and the insurrection of January 6, ah. 2021. <laughs> <laughs> okay <laughs> roger that so and uh, applebaum that, I, she she works for the atlantic i think she writes for the atlantic i think she yeah well, she might yeah. uh but but this idea that you've got putin you've got china you got <laughs> january 6th i mean you got hitler you got stalin you got january, january 6th <laughs> it's unbelievable these people <laughs> That's it's un, it's totally unbelievable. No, it's so propaganda. It's, it's what it is. It's propaganda. It's groovy. It, that's why this is called propaganda. Okay, here we go. Part two. You begin by writing to quote you. So many of the seemingly novel illnesses that afflict modern society are really just resurgent cancers. So, what do you see as you look around the world today, including the United States? Starting with uh, Russians' invasion of Ukraine, the use of mass violence, uh, the use of torture and uh, concentration camps, filtration camps to deport people. Wait, stop, mass, stop the clip. Uh, the use of. Didn't, didn't he say when you look around the United States? What do you see? Question? Yeah, hold on. In society are really just resurgent cancers. So what do you see as you look around the world today, including the United States? Including okay, the United okay. States. Okay, she did say world. Okay, I made yeah. a mistake there. Starting so with, she, but she does. She starts with Russia. Go on. Starting with uh, Russians' invasion of Ukraine, the use of mass violence, uh, the use of torture and uh, concentration camps, filtration camps to deport people en masse, uh, the use of genocidal language in that conflict, Putin's language about his discussion of eradicating Ukraine from the map. The use of falsehoods and propaganda um, on a mass scale, and that's something we see not only in Russia, we see it in other countries, and of course we see it in the United States, mm -hmm. uh, the attempt to create alternate realities. Um, Hannah Arendt wrote extensively about the way in which propaganda creates a different reality for people to live in or can do. And this, of course, was in a time before social media and modern technology made that even easier than it was uh, in her era. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's why yeah. we had to get rid of the Smith-Munt Act because it was so easy. Yeah. So uh, a couple of things there in that little clip. They always bring this sort of thing up because they're trying to, you know, pin everything on Putin. But when they mention that, and I don't know that he's ever said he wants to wipe Ukraine off the map. 
No, that seems like a bastardization of what Iran wants to do with Israel. Kind of a talking but point. Why they? Well, that's what Palestine, the Palestinians would love to do with Israel. Mm-hmm. And that's what they like to teach. And that's what a lot of these Middle Eastern countries like to do with Israel. But this does this will never get mentioned in this may in this liberal media no, why uh, environment. No, why would they we? won't? No, no, no. That's not good. No, sh- no sh- don't do that. Sh- no, no. Sh- no, Putin. In fact, it goes on. Let's play the clip. This is where she talks about Russia. This is the Russia part of it. First of all, I don't think they would stop in Ukraine. They would move on um, to Poland, to the Baltic states, even to Germany, I think. Okay, that right there negates everything she said. Hold on a second. First of all, I don't think they would stop in Ukraine. They would move on um, to Poland, to the Baltic states, even to Germany, I think. Wow. So this woman. Oh, man. Actually thinks the Russians are going to not stop at Ukraine, even though they can't even get halfway through there. They won't stop with Ukraine. They're going to go to Poland. And Germany. And then Germany. So right there, this is a person who is, I think, clinically insane. This is not an analyst that you would want to have on a show. And, of course, this guy didn't push back at all. Mm -mm. In fact, let's listen to this this pairing of clips. This is all NPR, by the way, with the National Treasure. Listen to this. This is Ann Applebaum on social media. And this is Q Adam because this is going to – I'm – this is going to cue you. I'm going to ask, ask a question afterwards. Okay. Actually, there's a lot of evidence that the kind of connection that you get from social media only makes you feel more lonely and isolated. You know, people talk about being on social media um, and feeling afterwards worse about themselves, worse about their relationships. And one of the things she writes about in her book is the way in which autocrats use loneliness. So they separate people from one another, and that then makes it easier to dominate them. Because, you know, when people aren't able to act together, when they're not active, when they're not participants in society, then they can't push back. They can't even think about the nature of the political reality that they live in. Okay, I'm biting my tongue. So I'm listening to that thinking, oh, my God, that's an interesting observation she made back in the 50s is Hannah Arendt. Uh, do you think that might, for example, apply to, uh, let's say, uh, lockdowns? COVID lockdowns? <laughs> yes. It's the first that thing is- that came to mind. COVID lockdowns and maybe yep. the COVID lockdowns are used as a political tool. No, wait. What she said is the isolation become easier to control. She is describing the exact setup for mass formation. And then what you need for mass formation to be, besides all the isolation and free-floating anxieties, is you need something that people can bond to. During COVID lockdown, it was mass social distancing vaccine. Now, during in, uh, inflation and, uh, and general malaise, the thing we can all get together and, and, and focus on is Putin. So yes, yes, it's a technique. So, I, well, so the journalist in me, would ask about the idea of the because she's leading right into it. Yeah, that these this that lockdowns are what you just described, not social media. So that and, and, how, and like, how and how would you phrase that exactly to her? I would say, well, that what you said is interesting because it it brings to mind the lockdowns. Mm-hmm. Lockdowns create loneliness. Lockdowns do this. Lockdowns do that. So. That would be something I'd expect to come out. What comes out, do you think? Do you think that's what he asked? Uh, somehow, I don't think our NPR 
tr- National Treasure reporter asked anything about that. Let's see what he says. And does it make us vulnerable to misinformation? <laughs> okay. Yes. Hold on. Let me pivot right to this. So do you remember I, I read to you the Brookings Institution uh, podcasting needs to be moderated uh, piece uh, on the last show? Yes, a 10-point a gem. Yes. Now, I, w- I was reviewing this because I was talking to uh, Dave Jones about it in podcasting 2.0 context, and I'm reviewing this, this, uh, this, this piece, and this, um, the, uh, the person who wrote the two uh, artificial intelligence data scientists who penned this, and, and you called it. You said, that seems kind of like a repeat. You know, it's like, haven't we already heard all this? So then I started kind of looking at the meat of this, uh, uh, of what they've done here. And again, this is all about uh, policy recommendations for podcasts. Listen to this. Below the level of blatantly illegal content, the most popular podcasting apps face a daunting challenge. On the one hand, given the scale and reach of apps like Spotify and Apple Podcasts, each now enjoys more than 25 million podcast listeners in the United States. Their content moderation policies need to account for the societal harms that can result from the mass distribution of hate speech and misinformation. Popular podcasts played a prominent role in spreading the so-called big lie in the lead-up to the January 6th assault on the U.S. Capitol. So prominent role is a link. So I click on the link, and we go to, on the morning of January 6th, 2021, Steve Bannon encouraged the audience of his podcast not to waver in their faith. Okay, I continue to read. Um, They've also been a key vector in spreading misinformation related to COVID-19 vaccines leading to unnecessary deaths. And again, an article about Steve Bannon. So, you know, Steve Bannon is not the boss of, of all podcasts. At all. To say the least. But then President Obama gives a speech. People like Putin. And Steve Bannon, for that matter. Understand, it's not necessary for people to believe this information in order to weaken democratic institutions. You just have to flood a country's public square with enough raw sewage. You just have to raise enough questions, spread enough dirt. So what are the chances that we have this Brookings Institution paper coming out clearly focused on one podcaster, Steve Bannon, for sure, a popular podcast, and that President Obama highlights him as well? What, if this, you could have highlighted, if anything, if you want to say, hey, podcasts are killing people, why not grab Joe Rogan? You know, mm-hmm. he told people to eat horse paste, did he not? Well, people died. No, Steve Bannon. Yeah, but there's a good reason for Steve Bannon and not Joe Rogan. Well, there's lots of good reasons. (laughs) No, there's one good reason. Hmm. Steve Bannon is closely associated with Trump. Trump. He was a member of the Trump administration. He was the strategist, chief strategist for a while. Mm -hmm. And he's still associated with, even though he, he, he doesn't even, I don't even know if the two of them like each other anymore. But Steve Bannon is connected to Trump. Rogan is not. He's not connected to Trump in the least. And if you found somebody else that was doing a podcast that was anything like Steve Bannon's that was connected to Trump, they'd throw him in. But Steve Bannon is a low-hanging fruit. I don't know if he's a fruit or not, right. but he's low-hanging. <laughs> but this is just no coincidences in politics. I'm listening to this like, okay, what a setup. No, this is part of the whole thing. They're just trying to 
They, these guys are so preoccupied with Trump and his influence on the Republican Party, they can't seem to, you know, shake it. They can't shake it. And, and Bannon is just another example. Um, so censorship or, you know, call it what you want, content moderation. It's uh, censorship. Yes, seems to have hit home, but not here. No, no, no. There's juicy, and I was reading through it a little bit, uh, I have some highlights, but juicy legislation in the European Union. The European Union agreed on legislation today for landmark new rules that will push the world's biggest social media companies to stop the spread of online information, misinformation, I should say. It's mm. called the Digital Services Act, and it's expected to be passed into law in Europe, where companies like Google, Meta, and Twitter could face fines if they don't remove hate speech, propaganda, or other material from their sites. This is going to be a mess. We couldn't even, I mean, there's half the sites in the United States have just given up on GDPR, you know, on the, the, the EU regulation of data privacy. Just, you know, how many websites have we, well, last time I was there, you bring it up in the EU, it's like, sorry, you're in the EU, we can't give you this content. So yeah. now, now, all, now they're going to force all these companies to deal with hate speech? Hate speech, mind you, hate speech. This is just, this started with the bullying, we couldn't believe it. 10 years ago, 11 years ago, there were story after story about, oh, bullying, bullying. And we, as the boomers we are, what happened to sticks and stones will break my bones? And then we got bullying laws. Remember that? There was legislation in some states. And then that turned into hate speech, completely protected by the Constitution. Now, the European Union doesn't follow the United States Constitution. They do have a number of you know, freedom. Of, and, and by the way, they don't talk about freedom of speech in the EU documents. It's freedom of expression, which I think is a subtle but important difference. And this and, you know, this thing is being ramrodded down the EU's throat. And of course, it's not all approved yet. And it has to go through the Starfleet command. And then they're going to, you know, then the then the unimportant parliament will vote with they have no say that doesn't mean that Tommy it doesn't pinkos, pass man. Tommy pinkos it doesn't pass it's not like they can really stop anything oh no it failed no it just means it goes back and it gets a yellow card and they change some things and send it back and have a little chat with everybody mm, i think you got to get on board with this so this is going to be a mess and it's yeah. going it's going to make and it's going to affect the u.s too uh, just in in how stuff works, or you know, is it just is Twitter just going to be a bunch of Yankees yapping at each other? That's boring. Well, I don't know. Tommy Pinkos. <laughs> this I've been reading through these documents. It's it's a hoot nanny. Well, it's, a hoot nanny is where you sit around and sing along. Yeah, no, it's it, yeah. Well, it's they're 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 doing a hoot nanny sing along. It's it's really it's thick. There's so much, and there's liability, and oh man, they're killing they're killing the internet. Which well, they're trying. To. Yeah, you probably wouldn't see it as a bad. All thing. it says to me, every everything you're talking, everything you're talking about, just keeps thinking. Are there any VPNs that are publicly traded? <laughs> Yeah, I get a lot of requests about what VPN do you use? What do you use, John? Can you talk about that? What uh, VPN? Two, I I recommend two VPNs: mm-hmm. Nord and uh, P. Uh, uh, P. I think it's a PIA Private Internet Access. 
Um, those are the two I, I like. Mm-hmm. We use both of them. Uh, Hillary Clinton is... And by uh, the way, you know, if you use Opera as a browser, it's got a VPN built, built in. If you want to turn yeah. that on, it mm-hmm. works pretty well. Hillary Clinton tweets, For too long, tech platforms have amplified disinformation and extremism with no accountability. The EU is poised to do something about it. I urge our transatlantic allies to push the Digital Services Act across the finish line and bolster global democracy. Global democracy, Hillary. Before it's too late... <laughs> how do, how does how does the online the digital services act somehow spur global democracy does every country get a vote now or i don't know and uh so instead of fact checkers they this is the this is my last bit on this instead of fact checkers they have a new term trusted flaggers which to me is a that show sounds title. Sounds like something that goes on in a nudist colony. <laughs> if that sounds like a show title to me, it's like trusted flaggers. I like it. So you're going to have people who are, um, I guess, uh, collaborateurs, or maybe we, in Holland we were called NSBers, who will be uh, sleuthing along and they'll be trusted. You know, they'll have some kind of status. I'm thinking an armband. Uh, or something cool like that, or maybe a uh, maybe an ID, a special uh, handsome wallet ID that says "Trusted Flagger." Back off! And they're going to be snooping around, and they'll recruit just th- tens of thousands of them, and you'll be flagged by these trusted flaggers. They're going to recruit citizens to to yeah. snark and and snitch yeah. on on their these neighbors. Will be Mac- these would be Macintosh users who hate me personally. My uncle Rennie is, um, oh gosh, Ren is eighty six, I think. He's na- he's the NASA scientist, and he says, you know, Dvorak, man, I read him all the time back in the Apple II days, and he was, I think, he was quite a fan. Could be, yeah. Back in well, the good day. for him. <laughs> so, <laughs> so unfortunately. We had a little moment there where I thought that we'd have, uh, you know, an acceleration of the Fediverse, which is what NoAgendaSocial.com uh, is a part of. It's the the Mastodon, and uh, you can have, you know, we, I think we did it the smart way. We have max 10,000 people, but you can create your own Mastodon server. You can join as many others. You know, some some may block us, but that's kind of how it's supposed to work. And uh, And so it scales that way in a distributed manner. Truth Social, which was Trump's, uh, you know, was supposed to be Trump's big social network, as we know, was rolling out on um, on Mastodon, and you know what I understood was they weren't going to federate right away, but at least it was, you know, the system it has no algorithms, and uh, there was the potential to, you know, to really scale it much bigger with with other systems. That failed. Uh, I, I I believe, sadly, the guys who were doing it, for whatever reason, they couldn't get it to scale. And now, the worst thing that could happen, Truth Social migrates to the Rumble cloud. So oh, we're right, yeah, we're right back where we were. You know, centralized system, algorithms. It's, uh, and I'm not saying it's going to be exactly, you know, like Rumble, but if you're on the Rumble cloud, you're using the infrastructure, then we're just going to have another centralized piece of crap system. No, I'm sad about that. It was, it was. They had the right idea, these guys. But I can see, you know, oh no, we have to be number one, the best. 
Yeah, you no, know. there's that. Yeah. yeah, and so away it went. Well, away at least they went. didn't go to bit shoot. There's always Brighty on. And with that, you know. I'd like to thank you for your courage. Say in the morning to you, the man who put the C in the Curry reunion. Ladies and gentlemen, say hello to my colleague, Mr. John C. Dvorak. Well, in the morning to you, Mr. Adam Curry. Also, in the morning to all ships at sea, boots on the ground, feet in the air, subs in the water, and all the dames and knights out there. Let's not mess around. Let's just say in the morning to the trolls in the troll room. Let's count them right away. Hello. Okay, hands up, trolls. Let me see how many you have here. How many are in the troll room? And did I get anything? Did I... Mm, no, I have nothing. Okay. The, oh, here. The count was failing. Try one more time. Uh, it's failing. <laughs> I, I have no idea. I have no idea how many trolls are in the troll room. Maybe someone... Oh, there we go. 2303. That's reasonable. That's very reasonable for a Sunday. Well, trolls, good to see you here. Thanks for hanging out. Thanks for waiting extra long. In fact, it's it's we can't really compare it fairly because we're not doing the show live at the same time. So maybe we get more people. Oh wait, here we go. Twenty two sixty eight. Okay, guess so we got a new number. They're dropping like flies. <laughs> uh, if you want to troll along and uh, make horrible comments so we can uh, slam you on the show, go to trollroom.io and hop in that uh, troll room. And you, of course, are listening live. On Thursdays and Sundays, um, it's a 24-hour stream, noagendastream.com. There's all kinds of live programming. Darren O'Neill did four-hour rock and roll pre-stream, uh, pre-show, and um, I think he was taking requests, and he's always interacting with the Troll Room. Uh, and if it's a, just a recorded podcast, then you can troll each other or just comment on it. Trollroom.io, you get both in one shot. We talked about uh, noagendasocial.com. If you want to see what all the hullabaloo is about, then follow Adam at noagendasocial.com or John C. Dvorak at noagendasocial.com, and you can participate in the Gitmo Nation uh, conversation there. And we'd like to thank the artist for episode 1445, uh, 44, sorry, that was Capitalist Agenda. Who brought Capitalist. us a capitalist agenda? Who, who brought us a very nice piece of art that had all kinds of problems, but we still loved it. And this was the uh, the cheesecake uh, redhead. Oh yeah, uh, uh, with the ma- with a, her mask removed, a mask tan line, and a little airplane in the back. And it it was just a, a completely nice piece. I got some pushback on it. You know, like, well, how come uh, there's no tan line over her nose? Oh, that- good point. And wow, how come there's two loops on one side? Yeah. Oh, by the way, there are masks with two loops like that. Okay. Well, I thought that I thought the knot over the nose was a pretty good catch. That no, no the nose catch was dynamite. I agree with that. But you know, come on. <laughs> it's a. Oh, by the way, a it's a cartoon. Yes, true. Let's take a look. What else we saw in the? Uh, well, there was a lot. We there was a lot of good there was pieces. A lot. I kind of was attracted because I to the to the redhead because of the cheesecake uh, aspect. I'm yeah. a big advocate of this, and even though it's old school, it's a sexist old school idea of how to get attention. It works, uh, and you put a pretty girl on there instead of you know uh, Biden, let's say, or <laughs> yeah. Fauci. Yeah, you might get a click or two more. I like the uh, CDC. Uh, I like Parker Pauly with the with the bag over the head of the people. Yeah, we CDC both like bag, that. We talked about that. Yeah. You I like the it, Mickey Mouse uh, flipping the finger? I love the Mickey Mouse flipping the finger, but it was, you know, unfortunately, I don't think we should be using flipping the finger no. as our art. 
Uh, but I liked the way it was executed. I thought it was excellent as Dar- Darren O'Neill. Parker Pauly also did a nice job with the airplane dropping a bunch of masks. Yeah, I, out the that, window, that was unclear were. to me because I, I, it didn't immediately, it looked like little diamonds or something. It didn't quite register as a mask to me right away. Yeah. And, um, uh, and what we, we had talked about the Darren's No Agenda Woke Flicks now with ads, which in a pinch would have been usable. But I, I liked the Woke Flicks quite a bit. You liked it. Mm-hmm. We both liked it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it didn't have the oomph. Missing the, the oomph. Uh, yes, cartoon. missing the oomph. And we got a lot of feedback on this on the piece that we chose. Like, oh, kind of underproduced since we you know complained about overproduction of art. I don't know if you saw all that going on on any social. Oh, it is underproduced. Yes, well, uh, in fact, uh, Dame Kenny Ben, who was c- condemned for one of her pieces, uh, did a piece on us condemning it, <laughs> which we noticed. And and I and then I pointed out on the no no agenda social that her her, her typography on the on the on the bubble was too small, <laughs> so she she redid it. But um, she's glad that we didn't weren't offended by the fact that we're represented by a bald fart whose whose dog is peeing on his feet. It's a beautiful uh, piece. as we criticize her piece. It was a great piece. Inside jokes were are always very, a winner on this on the. Yeah. I mean this is a this was kind of the the uh the main thing comic strip blogger specialized in for probably a year. Yeah. Uh yes, just this kind of Yeah, he gave up on that. He, I think he got tired of of doing funny art inside jokes and it never getting used. Go figure. Well, it's never going to get used. <laughs> the idea is just to get our attention. Well, we appreciate Capitalist Agenda and uh, and the work that all of our artists do. Please have a look at no agenda art no agenda com. It's well worth it. And, of course, you can contribute. And a lot of these images uh, go into newsletters, but they also are used by noagendashop.com, uh, who then uh, will make uh, T-shirts, mugs, hoodies, uh, beer cozies, all kinds of stuff. And they uh, they give the artist uh, a fair uh, representation of value of uh, part of the sales, and they wind up donating uh, to the podcast. So it's uh, it's well worth your time to go check it out, and you can contribute. And if you're using a modern podcast app, and by now you should have figured out that you need to drop the legacy stuff because you're going to wake up one day and no agenda might not be on or some other podcast you like or who knows. And there's also lots of features like all of the artwork. Uh, the, the most recent submissions you'll see are in the chapter art. And for that, you need a new podcast app. Go to newpodcastapps.com. Now, our executive producers and associate Excellent. executive producers for episode 1445, we kick it off with a, a knighthood donation from Anthony Perdue from Leavenworth, Kansas, 950. Please give me an LGY for finally catching up with the value I receive from you guys. Yay! And this donation completes my knighthood. I would like to be knighted Sir Reverend Cyber Trucker, Knight of the Asphalt Rivers. Keep up the humanitarian work, gents. Hmm. Thank you, and we'll see you at the round table. Uh, St- Sir Stoner Boner, thank <laughs> you for that one. Uh, and Kent Washington comes in next with 420 bucks. We, we were actually very short on today's donations, but Adam was traveling, and I don't know if that had anything to do with it. Guys, he writes, Sir Stoner Boner here, uh, coming in with my annual donation to show appreciation. I uh, meant to send this on 420, <laughs> but celebrated too hard and forgot using F, 
uh, F, the number four, I'm sorry, uh-huh. and gut is an interesting look to it. Four gut looks like a disease. I continue to appreciate everything you do to keep us sane. A karma jingle to all knights and dames, please. Yes, we shall do such. You know, there was, a, I got to tell you a story about the 420. You've got karma. So I got a note from one of our producers who, who, um, uh, executive producer for the last show, and he had a really weird donation number. It was something like three fifty nine sixteen, and then he had all these, you know, like two Fauci wheezes, another Fauci wheeze, like a weird jingle combo. I remember that. Yeah, and I we couldn't quite figure it out, and so he he emails me he said, you know, I'm, I'm I have to be honest, Adam, I'm a tad disappointed. And I'm like, well, what is this about? He says, I donated. I thought you would get the four twenty joke. And what happened is he donated $420 Canadian and thinking that we see, of course, the 420, get the joke, and then there's all this Fauci wheeze, like he's inhaling, bogarting a joint, passing it on. But because it was translated into dollars, it became, you know, a number that was completely unrecognizable. Something we need to, you need to be aware of. If you're sending in Scandinavian dollarettes or or Australian dollar dues, um expect that if if it's a numerology thing then put that in the note yeah put it in the note say this is 420 uh canadian dollar yeah dollarettes and we still credit no matter where the dollar is from we credit you equal on the u.s and by that probably eventually yeah even, you even out anyway sure do the accounting uh so thank you very much for that and uh thank you sir stoner boner michael jewell is in livonia michigan our favorite number, 333.33, the only one with a, a, a series of threes like that. Biscuit on my birthday, don't enslave me, and I love bugs. Oh, okay. Did I miss one here? No, I guess not. Uh, ITM, please add me to the birthday list and fabled wine list. Does this list exist, the fabled wine list? Yes. The, the, yes. Well, the how come I'm not exists. on it? How come I'm not on it? I haven't sent anything to anybody on the list. Why would you get something? Well, am I on the list? Oh, I don't know. It's a big list. I, I don't look at the list and see who's on it. Did you ever subscribe? Did you ever mention well, how do it? Where, how can I subscribe? Where do I subscribe? Oh, I'll, I'll, okay. I'll, I'll, this will be worked out in the months ahead. Okay. Uh, make sure you're on the list. Today, not only will I be celebrating the creation of my IMDB page for this executive producer credit on show day 1445, but it's also my 35th trip around the sun. This Rogan donation, Rogan donation is long overdue from Rogan Adam's donation. first JRE appearance, and I kindly ask for a dedouching. You've been dedouched. Thank you for your courage. May you never find an exit strategy, Mike uh, Jewell in Levon. You know, uh, one of the, um, was a fiancé, I think fiancé, or maybe a long-term boyfriend of one of my uh, step, was it second cousin? Um we're talking, he's a cop, and uh, and we're talking, and he, he doesn't know, I don't think, much about me. He's he's young. I'm a boomer, I guess, in his eyes. And he said, oh, podcast, yeah. Do you ever listen to Joe Rogan? I said, yeah, I've been on it a couple of times. What? 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 So, yeah. Oh, uh, brother. And, I, and he says, you know what I do all the time? When, when I have traffic duty, I have to direct traffic, I just, I'm just listening to Rogan. <laughs> He said, I got the earpieces and I'm just listening to Rogan while I'm directing traffic. He got a traffic cop? Yeah. Well, no, sometimes he's a young guy, so he's got to earn his spurs, you know, so sometimes he has to do traffic duty. 
I thought, that's interesting. I wonder how many cops are doing that. Just completely Lots. tuned out, <laughs> listening to podcasts. They always give me a biscuit on my birthday. Don't enslave me, Camilla. I love bugs. Bugs, bugs, bugs. Mm. Tastes like poop. Uh, thank you, Michael. That story's depressing. <laughs> but I'll continue with Lee North. Sirgoon in Kansas City, Kansas, 333.00. It's my 45th birthday on April 23rd. Thank you for the best podcast in the universe. Do we have a short birthday jingle? Not that I know of. Uh, Need some R2-D2 karma? Thanks. KF0BEH73s. 73s, Kilo 5 Alpha Charlie Charlie. Yeah, we do have a, a, we use this one for sure. They always give me a biscuit on my birthday. That's what you get. That's what you get. You've got karma. Viscount Ed LeBoutier from Tucson, Arizona, 333. I knew I had to donate to No Agenda when the last time I tried to download the show, it stopped downloading at 33 megabytes. Wow. We do that on purpose. I was hoping that you could help me plug a project I've been involved with. Well, sure. It's called Elephant in the Room. It's a great new musical play about a young girl's attempt to understand the left-right divide in America. It provides a refreshingly new perspective on this serious issue on our time. It chronicles a young girl on her journey of political discovery amid the riotous upheavals of 2019 at fictitious Eugene State College in Oregon. In her struggles, the protagonist develops new understanding and perspectives of her own, Maybe it can help you gain a new perspective, too. Check out Elephant in the Room, the musical. For more information, elephantmusical.com. Thank you for your courage. Is Ed in the biz? Is Ed Laboutier in the, in the musical business? I don't know. Oh, he's, he's, he's involved in the project. All right, Ed, thank you very much. We, 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 uh, so done. So got the name so for it. Yeah. <laughs> An Ed Laboutier production. Laboutier. Ed, Ed Laboutier production. Sir Ever of the Watt uh, is our first associate executive producer from Linwood, Michigan, 23456. And he writes, for, and he's got a knighting, I guess, uh, from Sir Ever of the Watt. First, happy birthday to my bride, Kathleen, of 43 years. Second, per my accounting, I would like to become the Baron. Oh, he's a Baron upgrade. The title upgrade, yep. Yeah, Baron of, you know, you know that place. The thing. The thing. You know, the thing. <laughs> The place. When he's got the place. You know that place. No jingles, no karma. 11th, uh, April 20th uh, to yeah, he has, December Yeah, he has accounting there. You bet, sir, ever of the what? You will be a baron today. Andrew Kresick, we're almost there, is associate executive producer, Painesville, Ohio. Has got a row of ducks, 2222.22. And uh, Andrew says, Andrew Kresick, yeah, here. This is a yearly donation for my birthday, April 22nd, and my second-to-last donation before knighthood. Excellent. Been listening for going on roughly seven years now since I was a freshman in high school and about to hit senior status in college for dudes named Ben. You two have been keeping me sane and woke to what really goes on in the world despite all the noise I'm getting from everything and everyone on campus. Keep the sanity coming and the amygdala small. Excellent, Andrew. Excellent. Can I say something here? Mm-hmm. I'm not sure how Sir Ever of the Watt becomes a baron if his previous donations amounted to 1593 and he's donating 23456. 
If he got the 2,000, that would be a baronet for starters. Well, this should... I put it on here. I wouldn't have questioned it if he hadn't put it on here. Well, but is is that his total donations that he's saying there, or is that just his most recent what's, donations? What's the point of saying anything? I, I don't know. I'm not in charge of any of this. I just re- look at the pretty colors and read the spreadsheet. Okay, we're going to baron him uh, upgrade, but I think he should reconsider what he did. Okay. You're up. No, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm I'm finishing this then. Are you done with yeah. Andrew? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, Danella Pompo in Los Angeles, California, is the last on the list. And she says, P- page three, D douche man, please give me a top of the shelf karma. Do uh, you have the page there? Because I don't. Uh, top of the shelf job karma. You've been D douche. You've got karma. And that is our, uh, that's our, uh, Executive producers and associate executive producers for show 1445. Yeah. Um, thank you all very much. You already saw someone uh, getting their uh, their IMDb account all set up because these credits are just like Hollywood. Executive producers, associate executive producers. Uh, there you're, you're typically responsible for the entire production budget. Here we get to split it up. And we give you the appropriate credit. We don't have, you know, actors and actresses for you to hang out with and no drugs and stuff. Well, we do have a round table uh, if you make it to knighthood or damehood. But thank you very much for the support. We'll be thanking more uh, of our uh, producers in our second segment. And again, thank you for producing episode 1445 of the No Agenda Show. If you'd like to be an executive producer, check this out. Dvorak.org. Thank you for bringing your time, talent, and treasure, the three T's that make it all happen. Our formula is this. We go out, we hit people in the mouth. Hey, okay. I have a series of clips on the Florida situation. And we still, kind of you mean the, the, the don't say gay bill or the Disney stuff? Or this, I guess it's all the same stuff, thing. It's kind of the same thing. Well, actually, it also fits into this, which is about masks. Oh, okay. You know, anything to demean Florida. <laughs> I'm talking about the judge who said you can't, you don't have to wear masks and everyone went nuts. Right. What turns into a hit piece on NPR on this poor judge. And it's, I think it's a uh, shameless hit piece. Okay. And I think it's worth playing. This Nearly judge decision on Matt. Sorry. <laughs> no, I was, I was waiting for your cue and I hit it wrong. Okay. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Judge decision on mass hit piece, NPR. Nearly uh, all, oh, God. all major airlines, transit systems, sorry. and ride-sharing services have made masks optional. So after ruling earlier this week from Judge Catherine Kimball Mizell that abruptly struck down the rule from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention that required masks on public transit. The Biden administration waited a couple of days before announcing they'd appealed the ruling. NPR Selena Simmons-Duffin has been speaking with health law experts all week. Selena, thanks for being with us. 
Hi, Morning Scott. First, uh, remind <laughs> us, please, of what... Hey, uh, she got the NPR mo- memo. Hi, Morning Scott. It was in Judge Mizell's opinion. Yeah, so Judge Mizell was nominated by former President Trump, and she was given a rating of unqualified by the American Bar Association because of her limited time practicing law and her lack of trial experience. Wow, is that true? I didn't know that. Yeah. Wow. Well, then, of course, you go ad hominem when you have something that, you know, you don't want to what she's doing now it's gonna do it no no she's she's first of all trump yep unqualified unqualified and then she's unqualified in some way we don't have any by the way she's gonna now the next part of it she's gonna talk about some people who told her what they think and and instead of balancing it with maybe somebody says yeah this is probably a pretty good decision because who needs this kind of aggravation no 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 we have none of that it's all negative and it's just it this is what is this is a classic journalistic hit piece on the poor judge. And here we go. In this ruling, she found that CDC didn't have the authority to issue this mask requirement and that it didn't follow the right procedures. Legal experts I talked with this week had very strong words about this opinion. One called it a legal abomination. Whoa, you got butt slam. <laughs> Another said it read like a first year law student's exam. <laughs> and they said the reasoning was a stretch and that she ignored legal norms. Whoa. And that this ruling has huge implications. Not only did it lead to people pulling off their masks mid-flight all over the country, but it could have the effect of limiting the power of CDC to issue public health rules down the line. Huh. Now, there's no other side to this, of course. Uh, because why would you do that? I'm sure right. there's somebody that thinks it was a good decision. Wait a minute, you mean they didn't her. balance it out? Even no. a little bit? Even a little bit? <laughs> even, a, even a little bit? No. <laughs> no, none. Okay. None, yeah. none whatsoever. That's it's classic. Dis- that's disappointing. It's par for the course. Well, it makes our I show noticed. better, for sure. Uh, that's always fun. Well, yeah, it's good for the show. So, uh, no, they just blast her, and she's an idiot, and she's, you know, everyone that we, I talk, everyone I talk to says she's stupid. And then they go on from, there's actually, what's interesting in these clips is there's actually something revealing that, that I found kind of interesting at the end. But let's go to part three. Then why did it take a few days for the Department of Justice under the Biden administration to file an appeal? Yeah, it's kind of strange. If the government wanted this back into effect right away, you would have expected lightning speed, like they would have asked for an emergency pause on her decision right away, but they didn't. Stephen Vladek teaches law at the University of Texas, and he has a theory about this, which relates to the fact that the mandate is set to end on May 3rd. Because the mandate's about to expire anyway, it seems just as possible that the government's real goal is to wipe off of the books Judge Mizell's ruling, striking it down. How does that work? I mean, I I took civics in high school, but I still don't understand how does that work. (laughs) It's a little obscure. So this is the part of the story that has a surprising connection to underwear from the 1940s. Oh, nice one. Okay, we're going from hit piece to bathroom humor. (laughs) <laughs> so what this guy brings up is interesting now this assumes of course nobody's going to fight what they're going to try to pull here and it's a stunt it's a democrat stunt the idea is is the her ruling really screwed up the idea that the cdc could become a little himmler and you know tell you what they're okay well, i'm a health department guy shut it down shut it down well also kind of, the, the may 3rd date was not an ending date that was um a continuation 
another two weeks of which there would be another review after two weeks to see if we should do two more weeks. But yes, I agree. Even what uh, Jen Psaki said is this is about future use of the to determine what power the CDC ha- has. And I and of course, that's going to be super important for the next lockdown if it's bird flu or if it's gunfire or because it's also bad for your health. Whatever it is, or or, or, your favorite, climate change. Well, of course, that's what we expect, is stay indoors, bad climate day. What does that have to do with underwear from the 40s? So let's, let's, well, they they explain, and I think this is kind of tricky, and I thought this was the part that that mainstream really didn't pick up on. This woman or this this professor at UT over there down in Austin, Mm -hmm. he picked up on it, and actually, I think he may have blown it because... This could have been let to slide until they let the cat out of the bag and, and smart money is going to go, wait a minute. Okay, we got to take this a little more seriously, uh, at, thanks to him. So let's hear it. Stick with me. Back in 1944, the federal government sued Munsingware, a Minnesota-based underwear company, because it said the company had overpriced its heavy knit underwear and that violated wartime price controls. It took years for the case to wind its way through the appeals process. And by the time it got to the Supreme Court in 1950, there were no more price controls on the underwear. So in its decision, the Supreme Court established the Munsingware Doctrine. Basically, if the dispute has gone away during the appeals process, the higher court can wipe the lower court's ruling away. So in this case, after May 3rd, Vladek says, The government can say, look, we're not going to have a chance to argue why Judge Mizell's ruling was incorrect. Therefore, the proper thing to do is to wipe that ruling off the books and just dismiss this entire lawsuit. Of course, he says only the government knows its legal strategy here. But every day that the government does not request to stay, he's more convinced that this is the real goal, to vacate the ruling so that legally speaking, it never happened. Wow. So that the Supreme Court would have to do that? I don't know how I think. I think it knows because the Munson where doctrine was already established. And all mm-hmm. you have to do is put that in place. Oh, just say the boom, Supreme just- Court ruled that way. And here we go. Yeah. Wow, that's a good catch. Tricky. It's very it's tricky. It's, 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 it's legal. It's a legal trick. They put. They're going to pull this legal trick, and at the same time, while we're at it, let's just slam this poor woman uh, out of the blue and demean her and smear her the best we can with no balance whatsoever, and make this whole thing one sided, lopsided in a very unfair manner, a very ad hoc, ad hominem manner, which is what. NPR did, and they should be very proud of themselves. You know, I'm a little disappointed, quite frankly. They could have said something about, you know, they could have added, you know, she's ugly. You know, oh, her, they could have. Her mom wears army boots. You know, there could have been anything. <laughs> they could have added all kinds of stuff. Wow, that's a good one. Oh, it, well, it's very import, important. Uh, now, aside from climate change, May 22nd to 28th is... Uh, is the big international health regulation amendments uh, session, which will be voted on by the World Health Assembly. And uh, President Biden is going to be there. Um, Let me see. We have, there's a number of... In body. Yeah. So this was announced by the White House, announced this. The U.S. as chair of the first summit last September, which we did have, is co-hosting the upcoming uh, meeting with Belize. They are the uh, Caribbean community chair, CARICOM. Germany will be in charge of this. They're the hold, they hold the G7 presidency. Indonesia, who currently is hold the presidency of the G20. 
and Senegal as the African Union chair. And what the White House said is they will be redoubling their collective efforts to end the acute phase of COVID-19 pandemic and prepare for future health threats. So the hosts, uh, which includes us, the U.S., are calling on world leaders, members of civil society, non-governmental organizations, philanthropists, and the private sector to make new commitments and bring solutions to vaccinate the world. (laughs) I think we actually have a clip of that. Hold on a second. You'll like this. Uh, I thought I had a vaccinate the world. Mm, Maybe somewhere. So what I've been trying to... Um, get to in in the past couple of episodes is this treaty, the pandemic treaty that the World Health Organization supposedly is drawing up, is drafting. And it's the International Health Regulations, uh, which the U.S. agreed to in 2005. And and, uh, these are treaties. Can the president agree to a treaty without Congress voting on it? I think Congress has to approve. I, I thought they had two, yeah. Uh, the 75th meeting of the World Health Assembly will be held in Geneva, Switzerland, May 22nd to 28th. The Assembly will vote on the amendments to the International Health Regulation. And this is the vaccinate the world thing, the pandemic treaty. And it means that um, when the World Health Organization and subsequently the International Health Regulations call for lockdowns, vaccinations, etc., we have to adhere to it if it gets passed by by Congress, if it, if it has to be ratified by Congress. So this is this is New World Order stuff they're doing here. Yeah. Uh, and there's very little known about it, but you can go to don'tyoudare.info to get a probably slanted uh, spot. I thought we had the, I thought I had that vaccinate the world. I'm disappointed now. I had well, a, I have a couple of things that are kind yeah. of along these lines. Just they're they're different, but they're kind of again something you have to. You're good at this, and you have to tell me what's going on here. Uh, this uh, on the 22nd of April, just mm-hmm. a couple of days ago, um, Bill Gates gave a TED talk yep. uh, to spike the ball about his twenty his earlier TED talk, 2015, I think, when he predicted a pandemic. Right. So he's spiking the ball and talking about what's next, the next horrible thing. And I just have two sub clips. I could have probably gotten more because he does this all the time. But here he goes laughing in the middle of a sentence. Mm. Is tell, you know. Mm-hmm. And I, I got two of them. I want you to tell me what you think he's laughing at here. This is Gates' TED Talk laugh. Is like a horrific global fire. The COVID pandemic has killed millions and upended economies. And we want to stop that from happening again. So let me think why he would be laughing there. So is like a horrific global fire. The COVID pandemic has killed millions and upended economies. And we want to stop that from happening again. Well, I, to me, it sounds it was a subtle one. Yeah, it's very it's subtle. Right in this, we want to stop oh, that. So maybe he doesn't want to <laughs> stop that. <laughs> he doesn't actually want to stop it. Or he's still laughing about the millions of people dying. Either way, it's inappropriate and creepy. Here's part. Here's the second one he does. COVID-19 can be the last pandemic if we take the right steps. So how? What What are these steps? Uh, 
it's got to be a like an arrogance type thing. Like, <laughs> I know what we're going to do. Take these. <laughs> or maybe not. Well, his steps, by the way, I'll tell you. He says, ha, we're going to take, take these steps. The steps are global government. Yes, IHR. Uh, there was another laugh tell. This came, uh, and it was about um, COVID, and this came from President Obama. And yet, despite the fact that we've now essentially clinically tested the vaccine on billions of people worldwide. So everyone caught this. He said, we have now essentially clinically tested the vaccine on billions of people worldwide. Uh, now, this was su- not supposed to be be a global test by rolling it out. We're not guinea pigs. We were told that consistently, that no, this is safe. It's effective. Uh, In 75 years, you can see the trial. Yeah, I'm laughing now. In 75 years, you can see the trial data from from Pfizer. But President Obama laughs at, (laughs) effectively, we tested it on you, you stoops. And yet, despite the fact that we've now essentially clinically tested the vaccine on <laughs> billions of people worldwide. <laughs> Around one in five Americans is still willing to put themselves at risk and put their families at risk. What, by taking the vaccine? Yeah. People are dying because of misinformation. Ah, misinformation. It's not just vaccines, misinformation. So he's laughing about it. <laughs> so it's just a laugh fest. Do you think that they all sit together like kind of those dogs at the poker table in the paint, famous painting just laughing at us? Well, they're laughing at us when they give these speeches and laugh right in the middle of it. Yeah, it's odd. But it's like, I, it, what gets me is, do you think they should take some improv or maybe some acting classes so they can <laughs> keep themselves from doing this? How hard is it? I don't notice that you do it. I just did I it a minute ago. I do it. I just did it a minute ago because I was really laughing about it. Yeah, but you're not, you're not, you're not using it as a tell. It's not a tell. Right. Right. You know, yes, we're going to do the no agenda show <laughs> next week. You know, I mean, I don't know. I don't even know the mechanism for that, but it, they just can't not do it. Well, then maybe if you take these two together, both Bill Gates and President Obama both know what's coming. And Bill Gates is telling us there's another pandemic coming. President Obama is laughing about uh, how we tested this on y'all. You know who's not laughing? Fauci's not laughing. Political elements in society have determined that now they're going to villainize me. So they're going to take the person who was very much admired yeah. for reasons of caring <laughs> for the public health. Wow. <laughs> Just so you know, I'm very admired. So they're going to take the person who was very much admired yeah. for reasons of caring for the public health and making it a symbol of Everything that's wrong with the world it's, is me. I'm I, I, things like that. I'm taking. I'm destroying democracy. I'm taking away people's freedom. Man, that's really over the top to speak of yourself in the third person about how great you are. Well, and then he calls himself an it. But that's he called name. himself an it. Listen yeah. again. Political elements in society have determined that now they're going to villainize me. So they're going to take the person who was very much admired yeah. for reasons of caring for the public health and making it a symbol of everything that's wrong with the world is me. I'm not I, making I, me a symbol. Like yeah. I'm destroying democracy. I'm taking away people's freedom. Well, it is. Uh, yeah. 
It wasn't just a misuse, but what he did. Um, we're talking about since we're talking about screwballs and well, maniacs. I, hold on a second. I just wanted to add, just just let's just finish up COVID real quick. There's just a few things since we haven't done any yeah, of that. Yeah, you might as well. I got nothing. Yeah, I got a few things. Um, so Shanghai is uh, the majority of the Shanghai residents are still in lockdown. They are now raising um, fences with uh, with shields in front of a lot of these uh, apartment buildings and homes. So they're they're in essence kind of what they, what happened in Wuhan. And I don't think they're welding doors shut just yet. Uh, and people are kind of freaking out because now it's been what? It's been fifty days, I believe, and and people are in pretty dire straits. It appears though. That President Xi is taking either taking advantage of this, or maybe uh, maybe this is what it's all about. He seems to be purging local officials, local politicians in Shanghai. The vice mayor has been rousted. Uh, deputy mayor has been rousted. Uh, who else? Um, a couple of different people. It's just and these. According to Nikkei Asia, which is the financial news, these are all uh, opponents or detractors in some way to uh, to Xi. Um, and he seems to be getting well, rid of them. He would claim that they're corrupted. Uh, and China is a country and perhaps a culture that is prone to corruption. You're right. At, uh, petty corruption. It says it right petty here. Corruption. It says it right here. Since taking office, the 62-year-old Chinese leader has embarked on an aggressive anti-corruption campaign, vowing to crack down on both tigers and flies, powerful leaders and low-level officials. Many view the drive as a move to consolidate power. So back to the mandate of heaven, man. You got to think that this that he's worried. He's really, really worried. Well, he, when he first took office, he made some claims about corruption and he's going to wipe it out mm-hmm. because he thinks it was a plague on China. Right. I've forgotten and, about that. You're right. And then during that era, the, the a lot of the entrenched corrupted folk, uh, the billionaire class and some of the others and some of these, you know, more public faces mm-hmm. of, of, you know, of, of billionaires. You know, there's a couple of, they may disappear for a while. Jack Ma being one of them. Um, uh, kind of turned on him and they started plotting against him. And there was all this discussion about, well, there's a second group of Chinese that might take over. And they, you know, talked about different guys that were out of power that might want to, you know, they're going to get rid of this G and put them in and nothing's come of it. But uh, it's, I guess it's still an issue with him. Maybe personally, or maybe he just sees the writing on the wall, but I mean, well, he's coming up for his third term, which would be unprecedented in the modern era. Yes. And uh, that'll tell the tale. We'll see what happens. Okay. That, yes. And uh, what else do I have on COVID? Uh, oh, yeah. Actually, I have something very important. I almost forgot. God, I'm getting feedback. Everything's a mess today, John. I'm sorry. Uh, it's, I don't know what what's going on. Here is... Uh, yeah, this is it. Uh, this was the CDC issuing an alert. 
The CDC is asking physicians across the country to be on the lookout for unusual cases of severe hepatitis in children. Nine cases yeah. have been reported so far in Alabama, two others in North Carolina. Dozens of cases have also been identified in Europe. Several of the children became so sick they needed a liver transplant. But so far, all of the usual hepatitis viruses have been ruled out. Okay, I'm going to play a second report here. It's a little bit longer, but that is the United States, nine cases. And I want to ask you specifically about what different kinds of hepatitis there are, but this is happening worldwide. Here's the United Kingdom. Health authorities in the UK and across the world are investigating a spike in sudden onset hepatitis amongst children. The number of young children in the UK affected since January this year is 108. 77% of those have tested positive for adenovirus. There's a wide range of symptoms, but they are usually mild. Eight children have already received a liver transplant, and more cases have also been confirmed in Ireland, Spain, Denmark, the Netherlands and the US. Our health correspondent, Ashish Joshi, has been speaking to the father of one three-year-old girl affected who donated part of his liver to help her recover. A warning, his report contains photos of post-surgery scars. Warning. Lola Rose had hours to live. Her liver was failing. She was put into an induced coma. I didn't want to walk through those doors. I didn't want to see her like that. I did because she's my little girl, and I wasn't going to let her do that alone, whether she knew I was there or not. I was going to be there, but seeing it for the first time was just horrendous. Lola needed a donor. Alan was told he was a match, and after lying side by side in surgery for more than seven hours, half of his liver was transplanted into his daughter. Lola's sudden onset hepatitis was triggered by an adenovirus infection, but it's a common infection that usually causes flu-like symptoms, not acute liver failure. We still have to report new cases. Dr. Tassos Grammatikopoulos is one of the country's leading pediatric liver specialists. And here at King's College Hospital, where Lola is being treated, they're seeing a rise in cases. The most recent lockdown and the pandemic has probably played a part on this because children have not been exposed to common pathogens, to common infections like they would to had we all been out and about. Okay, so there's a couple things uh, that are going on here. Now, first of all, before COVID hit, we were hearing a lot about uh, hepatitis. Uh, in fact, uh, California, here is uh, just a quick throwback clip. Today, the city of San Diego started power washing parts of downtown in an effort to fight against the hepatitis A outbreak. So hepatitis A, I've heard uh, adeno, adreno, adenovirus, there's multiple kinds of hepatitis. Uh, if you contract hepatitis, depending on what age, do you go into liver failure quickly? I mean, this this hepatitis is not good. Uh, the people in San Diego and also Los Angeles, you know, there's rats running everywhere before any, everywhere before the pandemic. They were getting and hepatitis. It's played with homeless. Yes. So tell me about hepatitis. What do you know about this? Well, the this? only thing I can, I can just read what I've that's got fine. here. Yeah, that's fine. Which is, okay, there's five kinds. There's A, B, C, D, and E. And in, in the United States, it's A, B, and C. And I'll just read right from this thing directly. By the way, they, they, hep- they didn't mention any A, B, or C. They just said hepatitis. I know, hepatitis. that bothers me on Yeah, it bothers me too. It's got to be one of them. Yeah. 
Alcoholic hepatitis is caused by heavy alcohol use. Toxic hepatitis can be caused by certain poisons, chemicals, medicines, or supplements. Okay. And these are viruses. It's caused by one of several viruses. Hepatitis viruses. Viruses are hepatitis virus A, virus B, virus C, virus D. I don't know how that that hooks up with the poisons and chemicals and medicines, to be honest about it. Mm -hmm. But... uh, I don't know. Is there a coincidence with all the shots they're starting to give kids? You think? I mean, that's what. Well, what they I did think is we'd like. Yes. Well, they've tied it to COVID by saying, "Well, this is happening because kids were locked indoors and they weren't exposed to viruses. Therefore, they yeah. uh, they were uh, ready, willing, and able to receive hepatitis." Doesn't sound really valid to me. No, that doesn't sound like it. In, so then there I, would be a there would be a viral hepatitis outbreak that would affect possibly everybody, and they would be warning that hey you need to get your hepatitis shot or you know you have to do certain things but just to say oh shit these kids got hepatitis they they got liver transplants oh must be because of the lockdown that seems like a real shortcut i don't know i mean it seems to me that somebody should do some reporting on this and tell us what the hell's going on instead of just you know they're just kind of glossing it over is what they're doing yeah yeah i know and yeah, yes, of course, understand. what you and you know what you immediately. And by the way, the adenovirus isn't that the one that the methodology is used in the Johnson and Johnson shot? No, no, are you kidding me? No, I'm pretty sure it wasn't an adenovirus variant. They usually attach something onto it, and you know it's not for kids. I don't think kids got that shot, but um, yes, Johnson and Johnson adenovirus uh, vaccine explained. You're so right. The Johnson Johnson denovirus vaccine explained the COVID nineteen vaccine allocation. You're right. Yes, their their techno- their technology two two. They, they take a genius to figure that out. Well, there you go, Doctor Dvorak. <laughs> You've been promoted to genius level. Well, I, like I said, it doesn't take a genius, so I'm not going to take that. No, but that, gee, that that is a great. Catch! I I forgot all about that. It's almost as the, besides the papers that have been revealed and the kind of deaths you get from the vaccine. It's now certain parts of the world saying, "Well, most of the people that have died have all been vaccinated." Uh, I mean, this it's just it this suppression of the information is out of control. Yeah, especially when it comes to your health. And they've just doubled and down. Then, they just doubled and down. Then man. They, yeah, and then they doubled down by wanting to. Oh God, let's let's censor podcast because heaven forbid we talk about this stuff <laughs> that's all be, connected yeah that would be wrong oh wow yeah this makes it kind of sad okay well yay way to go everybody that's all i've got uh, on covid there's your update be careful <laughs> be, be careful what you do oh yes here's one puzzling phenomenon well this is crazy uh patience who took the antiviral Paxlovid. This is the Pfizer pill, the uh, the replacement for everything Ivermectin. except... Ivermectin. Ivermectin, <laughs> right? Puzzling. Patients report a rebound of COVID-19 systems after taking the antiviral Paxlovid. So you, you, you get COVID. You've already had the uh, vaccine, supposedly, presumably. Uh, then you get the Paxlovid. And the symptoms go away, and the reports, this is the Boston Globe, 
is that people are having COVID come back and come back again. So the Paxlovid is not working. No, it is working. <laughs> it's, it's working as intended. Yes. <laughs> oh, we laugh, but it's so sick. It's so it sick. sick. It's sick. All right. That, and that's your COVID update. <laughs> Stay away from COVID, people. It's not good for your health. Uh, seems like it. Mm-hmm. I want to get a uh, these just clips out of the way about Title 42 and all of the you you wouldn't notice it because uh, you would when you're in Texas, but you're definitely going to notice it in Holland. This is the title that Trump put in place to to make it so it's easier to just someone steps across the border, you can ship them back to Nicaragua, and, uh, Nicaragua okay. or wherever they came so, from. So I'm not quite sure. Sh- so the way it works is if you, I think it's if you don't have, if you don't have a clean bill of health or is it specifically for a uh, complete vac? You know, if you, if you want to get your green card, in the United States, you have to show you've had your vaccinations. And I'm talking chicken pox, measles, uh, or MMR in essence. Everything. You got to have everything. Um, you have to disclose if you have AIDS, uh, all of this stuff. And so they probably added that. And I think that's what they were using. I, I don't know why you needed Title 42 because it was kind of already, maybe that is what, what they're talking about. Title 42. Well, they're going to pull it. Was, it was the specific. No, it's got to be something else because it has to be Trump specifically put it in. And now they're going to pull it back and they know there's going to be a huge run on the border. Right. And, because the, the, it's, so, another, it's another tool they cannot use to turn people back. Yeah, they decided not to use it. So here we go. Let's listen to these clips from NPR. This is Title 42 NPR. Some of President Biden's political allies are worried the White House doesn't have much of a plan for an expected influx of migrants at the southern border next month. That's when the administration is set to lift Title 42, the Trump-era pandemic order that's been used to expel people crossing the U.S.-Mexico border. Members of Congress are worried it could lead to a chaotic situation, and Democrats are worried there could be political costs. NPR's Deepa Shivaram is here to explain all this. Hi, Deepa. Hey there. Hey there. How are you doing? Hey there. hey there. You got it. What happened? Hi. Okay. All right. So let's hear the explanations uh, part two of this clip. So Republicans have been staunchly opposed to lifting Title 42. What about Democrats? So in the past few days, we've seen two more Democrats express some apprehension about lifting Title 42 next month. Hmm. That's Gary Peters, a Michigan senator who's chair of the Democratic Senatorial Campaign Committee, and Chris Coons, a Delaware senator who's a close Biden ally. And they joined several other Democrats in Congress and even some congressional candidates running for office this year who say that they want more of a plan. They want the Biden administration to reconsider or release more details on how to handle the expected influx of migrants once Title 42 expires. And there's even some Democrats who have joined forces with Republicans in the last few weeks to write up a bill that would delay lifting Title 42 by at least 60 more days, essentially trying to buy some time here. And one of the Democrats who joined onto that bill is Mark Kelly, a senator from Arizona who's up for re-election this year. So the thing to keep in mind in the background of all of this is the concerns that Democrats have about the midterm elections. <laughs> yeah. It's all they're, they're course, about. It's By all way, political. I've got, I've got this subclip called Title 42 Real Name, which is one second. I'd like you to play that. Okay, hold on a sec. NPR's Deepa Shivaram. Thanks. Oh, yeah. Yes, this woman. And yeah. It, well, I had a joke with it with her name because it sounds like she's they're saying something else. Uh, 
And I, they and they pronounce her name differently at the end too. And, okay, we can just skip that part. You could play the rest of this. That, that pretty. Yeah, I'll play uh, Title Forty Two, Number Three. The White House keeps pointing to a plan that the Department of Homeland Security released at the beginning of the month, but they're not adding anything more beyond that. And that plan from DHS says that the department is increasing their capacity to process new arrivals at the border, and they're beefing up law enforcement presence as well. Here's what White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki said this afternoon. We've proposed a plan, so that's a plan that is being implemented. Uh, in terms of any ideas to address immigration, including any delay of Title 42, that would require congressional action. And what they're also saying and being really adamant about is that Title 42 isn't technically an immigration policy. It's a public health directive. The administration says they're just following guidance set by the CDC. Okay, so the clock is ticking, right? There's about a month left until Title 42 is set to be lifted. So what should should we be watching for? Yeah, so in the next couple of weeks, I think the thing to keep an eye out for is that DHS has said that they're continuing to expand their resources on the border. And then when it comes to a legislative fix as an option, Congress could act if they want to. But in the meantime, you can expect members of Congress, both Republicans and Democrats, to be asking more questions. This DHS plan has been out for weeks now, but it's clearly not enough for them. And in the next week, you can see DHS Secretary Mayorkas is testifying in front of the House Judiciary committee, which is known for its pretty heated partisan confrontations. And the top Republican on that committee is Jim Jordan of Ohio. He's already asking Mayorkas to come prepared for answers on the administration's plans once Title 42 expires. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it it stands on its own. I, I got nothing to say. Yeah, I'll just follow that up with uh, more illegal uh, migrant immigrants. Uh, without papers coming in means more stuff comes in, our favorite uh, substance. The White House is pushing back against a new report that claims President Biden may delay lifting Title 42. That's a rule that allows border officials to turn back migrants because of a pandemic. The rule is set to expire next month. Meanwhile, 26 Republican governors are creating a so-called border task force. They're worried about a wave of new migrants and say the task force will focus on drugs and human trafficking to share information, to bring law enforcement a- assets, what? to use intelligence in our fusions. He said information. <laughs> he stumbled on information. Do you know information? To share information, to Inf- bring... Information, man. Information, man. Information, man. To share information, to bring law enforcement assets, to use intelligence in our fusion centers so that we can stop this flow of dangerous drugs like fentanyl, which is the number one cause of death here in southern Arizona among young people. That's just not how it's supposed to be. Figures show the number of drug arrests at the southern southern border is down 33 percent compared to this time last year. Hello, 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 hello. Hello. Uh, ABC is going to follow this up. They're going to do a a real big uh, fentanyl crisis special. America is being poisoned with fentanyl, and we don't even know. Just heard my wife screaming. She told me they had just died. 
50 to 100 times more potent than morphine. Keep breathing, come on. It's poison, it's pure poison. A few grains of salt worth of fentanyl will kill you. Just my agency has seized enough to kill the entire country. ABC News Live presents Poisoned, America's Fentanyl Crisis. The powerful series, streaming free on ABC News Live. Well, at least they're making us aware of the situation. Yes, so, we, we notice these things in Texas. For sure, we notice them because this is where a lot of it's happening. I, I, I There's people I know in Texas who got rear-ended by undocumented people and they don't have insurance. They're driving around. It's unbelievable. Well, that's happened to me. I think that's the person I know. Yeah, that's one person. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of that. There's a lot of no insurance in Texas. Uh, Tina got uh, someone backed up into her. Uh, unclear of the woman's status, but she did have a driver's license. It was expired three years. And, uh, which by the way, doesn't matter to the insurance company. They don't care. It happened in a parking lot. So there was no police report. Yeah. Doesn't have to be, uh, no, it doesn't have to be, but I, I heard the call when he said, well, look, you know, uh, we can't prove that she did it. This is their insurance company. Can't prove that she did it. And I think it's her mom has the insurance. Uh, so, you know, it's like, uh, yeah, but uh, she, uh, you know, I have uh, no, no police report. There's no proof. So, you know, we have we have a witness we're trying to find. The whole thing is a mess. <laughs> it's no take good. Photos. Uh, yeah, take photos. Sure. All right. Well, on that happy news. I'm going to show my support by donating to No Agenda. Imagine all the people who could do that. Oh, yeah, that'd be fab. Yeah, we do have a few people to thank for show 1445, starting with Sir Alexander of Middle Cascadia, $101.82. I want to note to people, we're getting a lot of people expecting us to read notes in the second half. The second segment's under $200. We don't read these notes unless it's a knighting or something or somebody with maybe a very special request or it's a deducing. Uh, but we get, and then here's a couple of examples coming up. There's a long note uh, from someone, but this note, there is a note here that involves a misnighting or something. You have it there, I think. Uh, are you sure that's a misnighting? Let me see. I have. Um, All right. Well, this is Alexander of Middle Cascadia. We did him. Has two notes. Uh, greetings, esteemed peerage committee. If you have time, it would be great help if you could answer a question for me. It appears that I should have been knighted on show 142, but sadly wasn't, and again was passed over on show 1433. It wasn't until show 1436 that I was knighted. Does this qualify your humble producer for Black Knight status? I don't remember. Where, don't remember where, where were you 10 shows ago? You remember what? You, do you remember this? You can call you. Okay, we'll give you Black Knight status just to, uh, as a uh, ad hoc basis. Okay. You got okay. It. All right. All right. Go good. We'll take that. So that that was the only question he had. All right. Onward then with Ian Field, $100. He's in the UK. Uh, Sir Selvarin in Silver Spring, Maryland, eighty-two twenty-three. And now here's another example of a, this is a, uh, this is a note we'll read. He needs some family karma because his 89-year-old dad, Don, died Saturday. He had a stroke. Karma Uh, Karma for him? Yes, give him some karma. 
You've got karma. I wanted to mention that, that looking at his note, he actually wants karma because so, he's playing the lottery, but okay. <laughs> he's using his dad for that. <laughs> Aaron, <laughs> nice. Aaron Groan. Is, how do you, what do you think? Groan? Gro- groan? Green. Groany? Groany? Green. Green. green? Yeah. Okay, 8008 in Meade, Nebraska. Sir, oh, Sir Kevin McLaughlin, Duke of Luna, Amer- Louisville of America, and Boobs, Concord, North Carolina, 8008. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sir Jen. This, this one uh, I will read. I put this on my list in the morning, Adam and John. I know notes for lower donations are not normally read, but I'm requesting health karma for Dame 1 of 3. So here we have a knight and a dame. As my soulmate wife of 36-plus years and possibly the OG keeper, easy, she is starting infusion therapy on Monday to treat progressive MS symptoms. She's been living with MS for over 20 years, but her mobility has been rapidly declining over the last two years. This can be a risky procedure with potential serious side effects, but can also stop and sometimes reverse the MS symptoms. We are hopeful this procedure will give us back some quality time and enjoy spending outdoors. Thank you for your consideration of this health karma request. Well, of course, how can we not do that? We break for knights and dames. You've got karma. And MS is the worst. It's horrible. Sir, not Jake in Connecticut, 5678. He's got a birthday. Dame Tara, watcher of birds in Urbans, Illinois, 5550. John Gaynor, 5280. He's somewhere in the country. Daniela in Pumerend. Pumerend. Uh, Pumerend. 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 <laughs> got a birthday, 5050. A Forrest Martin, 5005. Andrew Butterfield is $50, and he's in Bettendorf, Iowa, and I'm going to read the $50 donors' name and location as they come. Uh, Rob Nunmaker in Missouri. This is a funny name. Missouri City, Texas. Uh, Robert Hanna in Pow- Poway, California. Alex Alexa Delgado in Aptos. John Lawrence in Helots. Helots. Hello, it's Helots, Texas. Pamela Nyman in Amsterdam. Jesus Allen in Austin, Texas. And last in the short list, short, short, short list, Sir Patrick Maycomb in New York City. All right. That is still- that is our group, our group of producers. Uh, we appreciate everything that you do continuously. Thanks to all of the producers who have been producing other ways with your time and your talent. I want to thank the clip custodian. He knew that it was going to be tight for me, and he listened and watched uh, mainstream for me and got clips for me. That's very much appreciated. And, of course, we have people who come in under $50. Now, those are never going to be read. Those are 100% anonymous. That's why people come in like forty nine ninety nine. But also we have our sustaining donations. Uh, many of those are subscriptions that you can become a part of. And uh, people over the course of time have all achieved night and dame status. It doesn't take a lot. It just takes time. That depends on your time preference. If you'd like to learn more, go here. Dvorak.org slash N-A. Let's get a go karma for everybody, shall we? You've got karma. Here's our list for today. Andrew Kresik uh, celebrated uh, on the 22nd. Lee North, Sir Goon, turned 45 yesterday. Michael Jewell turns 35 today. Sir Not Jake, happy birthday to his son Ryan, celebrating today as well. Daniela will be uh, celebrating her birthday on the 26th. And Sir Ever of the What, 
says happy birthday to his bride, Kathleen. Happy birthday from everybody here at the best podcast in the universe. It's As we all thank your brothers and sisters who gave us some of them nights, some of them days, for the titles are a-changing. And we have a title change as requested. Sir Ever of the What has claimed his barony, Baron of, you know, the place, and uh, we appreciate his support of the show. We do have one knighting to do, so that's just one for today. Makes it easy, so I'll get my blade. Uh, Let's do another blade. Yeah, just have that there. So we request up here on the podium uh, Anthony Perdue. He did not come in with any special requests for the roundtable. It's okay, because we do have quite a list that I think you will enjoy. Uh, But first, I need to officially pronounce the KV with your knight name. We say hello to Sir Reverend Cyber Trucker, Knight of the Asphalt Rivers for you, sir. We've got Hookers and Blow, Rent Boys, Chardonnay, Cookies and Vodka, Warm Beer and Cold Women, Taquito and Taquitos and Taquilla, Polish Potato, Vodka, Diet Soda, and Video Games. We've got uh, some geishas and sake, vodka and vanilla. We've got ginger ale and gerbils, sparkling cider and escorts, uh, bong hits and bourbon, uh, breast milk and pablum, but we all know what you're here for. Mutton and meat at the table for you, good sir. Uh, share that with all of your fellow knights and dames. And while you are licking your chops, go to noagendanation.com slash rings. Give us your information so we can get that signet ring out to you. A handsome knight ring. You can um, uniquely sign your correspondence with the wax we provide with it. And, of course, the certificate of authenticity. And thank you for supporting the No Agenda Show. We have uh, one more requested karma from a baron, uh, which we also do like to... Uh, we do like to help them out from time to time. What does our Baron here say? We lost our boy Jack suddenly yesterday morning while we were on our trip leaving uh, Alamogordo to Albuquerque for the meetup today. This is their dog. We could use some dog karma for the unofficial no agenda local 512 COVID era mascot loss. My keeper, Christine, is especially devastated. She was the one who found him on the floorboard on our truck after we stopped at a gift shop before heading out. Yeah, give lots of hugs to Phoebe when you get back to the Texas Hill Country. Our time with these loving animals is fleeting. And this is uh, Baron Scott, I believe. And that's so sad. They they rescue a lot of dogs. Uh, I've been to their house several times in, in Austin. It's just it's a it's a madhouse. Uh, and that's always sad. So here's the Asian dog karma for you. Karma. So I wonder no, for how long Sorry. Sir Kevin McLaughlin is going to continue his uh, attention-getting uh, stunt. Oh, no. As long as there's boobs in America, he'll be in the pocket. No agenda. Meetups are off the hook as well. We love to highlight a couple of the reports we get from people. We have a big schedule. I'm only going to read a few of them. But first, we check out Flight 27 uh, of the No Agenda Long Beach, the California meetup. Hey, everybody. It's Leo Bravo at the Flight of the No Agenda meetup number 27. I'm going to pass the phone around, let people uh, have some words to say. Thank you. Yo, this is Bofa, live from Zombieland. You're listening to the one and only Grumpy John and Moody Stoner Boy Ada. Keep up the great work, boys. Hey, this is Thomas the Engineer. It's Aishan. This is Dylan, dude named Ben. This is Eric, Adam and John. 
Stay safe. In the morning, John and Adam, Jesse and Trisha reporting from Long Beach, California. Sir Benadstra, all the way in from Nashville. Thanks, Leo Bravo, for the hosting the meetup. In the morning. In the morning. And we move over to Anchorage, Alaska for their report. This is uh, the tiny amygdalas from Anchorage, Alaska. Uh, all mating here at the Bear Paw. Uh, this is Sir Lane, and I'm passing off to... Hello, Lori. <laughs> John Say! Hey, this is Clayton. John. Congratulations and uh, on your birthday and your anniversaries. Uh, and uh, this is all of us in Anchorage. We're missing you. Uh, and this is uh, Shane O'Hare. So I want to give a shout out to Royce down in Hawaii. Aloha and Sizzletron on No Agenda Social. If I ever meet you in person, I think the universe will collapse on itself. In the morning, the Saren John turned on your speakers. <laughs> and my first meetup is Sir Weasel. In the morning! All right, thank you, Anchorage. We could use some more originals, though, when you guys are doing your shout-outs. You know, like, turn down your speakers is kind of old. Yeah, it's kind of uh, lame. And I need to turn down my headphones. <laughs> no, I'm the one that's providing the feedback. Here's what's coming up uh, meetup-wise. Um, let me see. If you hurry, you can make the Northeast Texas Piney Woods Meetup Do edition. That starts at 433 at Rotolo's Pizzeria in Longview. Um, Monaco has a meetup today. It's probably over by now. It was at 3 o'clock Monaco time at the Monte Carlo Bay Bar. I hope they had a good time and will send a report. Monaco. Um, April 27th, Wednesday. This really is a meltdown meetup, 7 o'clock Central in Madison, Wisconsin. And then on show day, the Irish Bar Fun Times meetup, 6 o'clock at Patty Coins Irish Pub in Bellevue, Washington. And we might as well add to that on Thursday, the 28th, No Agenda Central Iowa meetup, 7 o'clock Poor, Poor, P-O-U-R, Choices Neighborhood Bar in uh, Grimes, Iowa. And the return of the Denver City Park meetup is also on Thursday, April 28th, 7 o'clock Mountain at the Denver City Park. And we thank, and please go take a look at noagendameetups.com. We now have meetups all the way through July and everywhere you can imagine, all over the United States, but all over the world. If you'd like to know more about them, if you'd like to attend one, go to noagendameetups.com. If you can't find one near you, it's real easy to start one. Noagendameetups.com. Sometimes you want to go hang out with all the nights and days. You want to be where you want me, triggered or held to blame. You want to be where everybody feels the same. It's like a party. Yowza. All right. Uh, how about some ISOs? I actually got, got, did a lot of clips. But no ISOs? But I, I got one. Ah, yes, I see uh, it here. Okay, hold on. Let me pull it up. Whatever everyone is talking about, that's what we'll be talking about. Yeah, that's way too long. With music? No. Rejected. Rejected. First of all, yes. <laughs> yes, yeah, second... I got some. Here, listen to this. Um, what do I have here? When did you first uh, become aware that there were going to be large no, demonstrations? That's, that's not hey, it. Is it. Mine's too long? <laughs> no, it's the wrong clip. <laughs> it's, it's mislabeled. I'm sorry. 
Let's try this one. Ah, I've got feedback now. I'm just tripping out. Roll the tape. No, that's no good. Why is why is my headphone squealing? Ugh. This is not why my day. Why am I shouting? Exactly. Let's try this one. I mean, wh- how do they even do that? It's a little long, long too. It's a little long. And then, and this is should actually be forbidden. Shut up, your Hitler! No, it's no good. Well, then I have nothing. No, the one before it is usable, even though it's a little long. Uh, this one? I mean, wh- wh- how do they even do that? Why don't I just shorten it? Why don't I just take yeah, it? The how- yeah, just do that part. Hold on, I'll do that. I'll take it to this, and let's just check it. How do they even do that? Yeah, I think that's Perfect. good. Okay, that's good. Hey, this is a clip I've been wanting to play throughout the whole show uh, as a part of the Great Reset. Actually, there's two things. There's one thing i got to talk about and one clip i got to play. Um, because we have not had the chance to talk about the food processing plants that uh, seem to be either uh, bl- burning down because of plane crashes or yes. some spontaneous combustion. It was highlighted in the newsletter with a bunch of headlines, including two plane crashes, yeah. not one, mm-hmm. but two into t- two different food processing plants. How does that one? How does that work? Well, you know, I, I, I did, now I'm real big on the on the processors. Now the beef processors, we only have three, I think four big ones that do everything. When it comes to these processing plants, um, I think there's thirty thousand of these processing plants in the U.S. Some are much larger than others, so we do know that one of them uh, delivers a lot of goods for Walmart. Um, you know that it, it, it's. I'm just not sure how much it'll impact the uh, the food supply. But what I do know is that the FBI is kind of insinuating that that some of these may have been started by, of course, Russian cyber attacks, where they may actually be messing with some of the systems through the um, what is that? Uh, what is the darn? Uh, uh, new toolkit, the Swiss Army knife that uh, that we that we yeah, talked about. Sure, okay. Well, I think the FBI is. Yeah, okay. I think it. Okay. 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 You got clips because I couldn't get any clips because the mainstream refuses to discuss it. No, I have. I have no clips. No, I have. I have no clips. But no. I. I do know that uh, the uh, FBI is warning that. Oh, let me see. Uh, I'd like to know why this is such so out of the news. I mean, when you have the two airplane crashes, I find that very peculiar. The FBI Cyber Division published a notice um, warning about increased cyber attack threats on agricultural cooperatives. Ran- why that specifically? I, well, I'm just going to read. Ransomware actors may be more likely to attack agricultural cooperatives during critical planting and harvest seasons, disrupting operations, causing financial loss, and negatively impacting the food supply chain. They warn a significant disruption of grain production could impact the entire food chain since grain is not only consumed by humans, but also used by animal for feed. In addition, a significant disruption of grain and corn production could impact commodities and trading stocks. So, yeah, you know, there's some implication that this could have something to do with with these processors. Possibly, Pipe Dream is the name of the uh, the malware that uh, that we've been talking about. Yeah, that's our latest bugaboo. It's that boogeyman. 
Well, the, well, the pipe dream malware is real. Yeah, I'm sure it's real. Can't but, blame it on everything. Well, but you know, again, the, the, using Russia. So I don't know. We, you know what? We just don't know, and the media is focused on dumb shit. So no, we we do the, our show probably knows more than anyone, but we don't know. But we don't know. For the coming Great Reset, what could trigger this? Uh, in the financial world, we often talk of things like uh, the black swan. So COVID, uh, it, by definition, kind of is a black was a black swan, the lockdowns. And we saw what happened with the financial markets. Um, there was a roundtable, uh, the International Monetary Fund, and Christine Lagarde uh, was in, uh, invited to join. Of course, she used to run the International Monetary Fund before she became the uh, the chief of the Federal Reserve of Europe, the European Central Bank. And she had an interesting take. President Lagarde, what about you? What should we be paying more attention to? I think of two things. One is what I would call the green swan. Uh, we talk about black swans, and, and I agree with, with Jay that we've, we've had one thing after the other hitting us, and in the main, we've tried to respond as, as, as well as we could, and often in a very coordinated uh. fashion, thanks to international institutions like the IMF. But the green swan is something that, that terrifies me. You know, when I think of what's happening in South Africa at the moment, the hundreds of people that are dying uh, because of, uh, of flood, and, and, you know, what's going to come next? Could it be Mother Nature that we are hurting so much that it retaliates against us. So that, that's one thing that is, that is often on my mind. I think the next one is the madness of man. Mm. More than women, actually. Oh. <laughs> Always. Madam <laughs> yeah. MD. The madness of man. Okay, let's start, let's start with the beginning of this thing. The black swan is a phenomenon, and it became a part of a book. Uh, that was describing as where you didn't think something existed, then it existed. And it turned out to exist. The black swan exists. It's real. There's no such thing as a green swan anywhere. <laughs> Unless it dropped and died. You know, somebody put a, a ink cartridge from a inkjet printer into a lake and then a swan went in there. Yeah, it's green. Uh, this is nuts. This woman should be banned from the show. No, no way. No, 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 no. We're going to hear a lot from Fifi in the future. I will say that Forbes in, in uh, 2021 published Sustainable Finance, Surviving the Green Swan. We need, oh. yeah, this is, a, this, it, look, these people signal stuff all the time. And you, all you got to do is just look and see what they're talking about. We need, this is Forbes. We need a financial system that supports low carbon, sustainable investments. Otherwise, the green swan could see it's another way of saying if we don't all jump in and get all in on climate change, the green swan is going to get us, you know, floods and other horrible things. So I'm fully expecting something Gee, horrible you know, to never happen. Had floods, floods in the history of mankind. <laughs> no, but I'm, I'm fully expecting something horrible to happen. What else? What else can you say with these people? Well, first of all, I wanted I sorry you went away from that uh commentary about the virus that Russians are planting everywhere. Yeah. What, what about Because it? I think it may be something to do with this story. Okay. Rich, the rich people up in the space station have been delayed. They can't get home. Oh. Rich space station. Oh, I, hold on a second. I didn't know this. Uh, where are we? Here we go. 
The first all-private crew to visit the International Space Station is postponing what was to be tonight's return due to high winds at the splashdown site off of Florida's coast. NASA says they will undock tomorrow night instead with an expected arrival on Earth Monday. Ongoing weather delays have extended what was supposed to be an eight-day stay in space to more than two weeks. Oh, they, oh, they, they did that wrong. They should have said... Weather delays and crew and staffing issues. They should have just done it like, like an airline report. Yes, we have weather delays. We have uh, staffing issues. And, of course, a COVID. Just throw something Nobody in there. Nobody talks about this story at all, these, these rich guys up in the space station. <laughs> they're, they're really, the system seems to be very uh, embarrassed by this. Who is up there? Bunch of nudniks that you've never heard of. Oh, okay. Well, how do we know they're rich? They paid $55 million to get there. They must be rich. It okay. better be. Okay. Well, you know what they should money. be doing? What happened to our money? <laughs> they should be donating to the show. We'll get them down. All right. Time to get out of here. Time to go back to Texas. Although we are going to Brooklyn for a few days. Why? Uh, to visit my stepdaughter. She lives there. Ah. You know, and Brooklyn is ground zero of wokeness, so I shall have a report. Yeah, I'll bet you will. I will. And another travel report, of course. Yeah, wear a mask. (laughs) Uh, Coming up next, live, they've been waiting very patiently, the Battle of the Douchebags Part 3. It'll be Sir Bemrose, Carolyn Blaney, John Breaks Bad News, Lavish, and Sir Seatsitter. Now that is the definition of a hootenanny. Right there. End of show mixes uh, Picasso and Rolando Gonzalez. And thank you very much for uh, Baron with us today. Or even Viscount. Baron, Viscount, it's all good. Coming to you from the place where IBM calls its HQ home, Armonk, New York, in the morning, everybody. I'm Adam Curry. And from Northern Silicon Valley, uh, I'm John C. DeVore. We return on Thursday with another deconstruction for you here on No Agenda. Until then, adios, mofos! Such. Now. Yeah. yeah. But he is the coolest dude in the room. I mean, the man wears bracelets that I've never seen before. Yeah. Well, for Mayor Adams, we know it's day three on the job, and he's sending a message that style is as important as substance, at least for now. Government affairs reporter Melissa Russo has been out and about with Adams as he's showing off what he calls his swagger. She joins us in the newsroom with more. Hey, Melissa. Hey, Natalie. Eric Adams is not only trying to project strength in his first week on the job, he's talking about the fact that he's trying to project strength as the new mayor works to help voters form a strong first impression when a mayor has swagger his city has swagger (laughs) when describing his governing style mayor eric adams today used the word swagger about a dozen times this is a city of swagger and without mentioning his predecessor by name he said bill de blasio didn't have it and the leadership should have that swagger that's what has been missing in the city all we did was wallow in Kobe. but is all that swagger swaying new yorkers he's an ex-cop that's what they do so it's all talk right now i love it because i love police well he's not the blasio so that's all i'm happy about with swagger has like a confidence to it that's a good way to start in recent days adams has shown he's big on bravado quick to dismiss those who disagree with him including the incoming city council i'm going to ignore them if they like it or not i'm the mayor adams takes every opportunity to show who 
who's in charge. This morning, he had this moment with the media. You know, if I were him, I wouldn't uh, say that word. I would show the swagger more. We need a mayor of swagger. We need a councilwoman with swagger. We need an assemblywoman with swagger. It is a very fine line between strength and arrogance. But so far, I think he's, he's walking it the right way. At the end of the day, though, it's going to come down to results. It doesn't matter what he's saying. It matters what he does. So we're going to do this, man. And usually the honeymoon period for mayors doesn't really last very long. Adams says that New Yorkers can expect clear messaging from him. For instance, today, emphasizing he has zero intention of shutting schools because of the latest COVID variant. David? Ukraine has been at the center of many of the biggest and most damaging lungs. You have the Open Society Foundation and all the related organizations. They call them NGOs and charities, right? But there's nothing charitable about these people. They're extremely radical. They have a very nefarious agenda. They launder money through their 5013C status, sharing it all with each other. And even worse than that, they figured out a way to rob us blind. They use our tax dollars through USAID, and they distribute that in places like Ukraine and all over the world. Not only are they stealing from us and funding their agenda with our tax dollars, laundering money through the NGOs and the oligarchs, what they're also doing is running policy through the U.S. embassies. I can just tell you that that's what you call the theater of the absolute ridiculous. What I don't want is I don't want to be led blindly into a war that comes right to our doors, to our families. We're not focused on the things that we should be focused on. Those people who want to read the New York Times and read the Washington Post and believe the nonsense, I don't have time for that anymore. It's okay for the United States to arm, fund, support, and equip Nazis in the Ukraine, but it's not okay to vote for Donald Trump. Dvorak.org slash N-A. How do they even do that?